Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report on this Thursday, January 11th, 2018, and we got a fantastic show lined up for you today. It's a it's a full boat. We have Daniel List, dark journalist. He's going to be joining us in the first hour. We're going to be covering some news and current events, uh, from things going in, on in the White House to what's going on uh, in Iran, from the economy to some QAnon stuff we're going to be covering when... I guess probably in the in the second segment in the first hour, as we'll we'll kind of cover the news first, and then we'll hit on that. As Daniel has done a, a number of videos with his analysis on on what he sees with this you know Q phenomenon, and me and him have some similar ideas in that regard. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. There's a lot going on in the world of news today. A story just broke recently about some quotes apparently Trump has made about an immigration deal, and this is from the New York Times, so we obviously take it with uh, more than one grain of salt. Trump alarms lawmakers with disparaging words for Haiti and Africa. He's quoted as calling them crap hole countries. Not the word crap, I can't say. I asked even for permission, and I was denied before the show. But this is just, you know, more of the same. We saw um, some remarks attributed to him about Haiti having uh, AIDS-infested citizens, and now this is just a, another uh, speculative piece trying to say that, that Trump is, is disparaging other countries uh, by calling them crap hole countries, rather than, uh, why, why are we getting people from these countries rather than from Norway and Sweden? According this, according to anonymous sources with direct knowledge of the conversation, and I don't really put much stock into that at all. And we've seen the a number of interesting news and weird news coming out with the immigration talks. Jeff Flake, Senator Jeff Flake, came out today and announced that they oh, had made a deal. Wait, wait a second. Before you go on the, that, that subject, can I, can I just say, you know, with respect to the third world countries that he's referencing, he's not wrong. Okay, now, before you call me racist, just hang on a minute. Can, can we talk for a Oh, second? absolutely. I mean, I know what you're saying. He's not wrong in the sense that, uh, because, countries like Haiti and others don't can't even take care okay. of themselves, and and this well, is what that's not even the point. Okay, I, I guess here's my point: you have to go back to 1965, and you gotta understand history. You gotta understand the past is prologue. You, you have to understand what the the Immigration Act of 1965 did under Johnson, under the Great Society. And we we that's what you this, need. I didn't play this clip on the Daily Show, but I have it. I have it saved right here, and it we can't obviously play it today. But it's from Prager University, and it's the the history of uh, the political parties with, according to racism, from the time of the Civil War till today. And one of the last parts of that video showcases President Johnson and the things he said while in the White House, saying, "Well, you know, if uh, we can't keep them basically subjugated, then we need to have them voting for us 
and, and, and what did he voting do? for us for the next hundred years? Right, what he said. Right, but it, what what he did was, uh, and this is important for people to understand what what Johnson did and, and the the Democratic Congress did at that time, was he made it so that uh, the Western European countries, people from Western European countries, uh, were, were put way, 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 way back in the back burner. And you might say, well, well, that's a good thing, right? Because we can balance out the the numbers. That wasn't the intent, nor was it the Result, and, and that's what I want people to understand. So, mm-hmm. do not before you start saying, "Oh, you, well, what a racist we'll, we'll thing to say." This. Well, think about this. With, with but, Haiti specifically, yeah. Go ahead. The American uh, public after the earthquake in Haiti w- was very generous, donating billions of dollars. But what was done with that money? Hillary Clinton stole a lot of it through the Clinton Foundation. But we well, have not seen any, yeah, that's all. <clears throat> any legitimate mm-hmm. improvement. My point is, why are we importing poverty into this country when we have veterans who are not taken care of? We have a huge homeless population, and I keep hearing commercials of, you know, one in five, one in six American children are constantly hungry and don't have enough food. So why are we importing poverty into this country? It's one thing to help another nation by giving it aid, sending missionaries, trying to uh, get it to sustain sustain itself. We don't have to import a whole country into here uh, to take care of when we can't even take care of well, much of our own people. Uh, exactly, but but if you're gonna if you're gonna use that as the platform, then okay, then we should go across the board to avoid the appearance of racism and to, to be racist or to avoid. Racism. I'm talking about all immigration. Okay, then then that's fine. I, I wasn't clear on, but again, the the historical facts bear out what Donald Trump said or was trying to say or. Said it very bluntly, okay? Because when you look at what Johnson and, and uh, by the way, I was really offended. I, I got a, um, I, I did that only. I did a video, a couple of minutes. I think it was five, five minutes, seven minute video yesterday on the numbers on illegal immigrations, uh, illegal immigrations and, and uh, illegal aliens in this country. And and somebody called me racist for doing it. Obviously, in you know, but someone who who said they're a Christian, they said, you know, they, they were. Once a um, supporter of our show, okay. Now, now, well, since when are facts racist? And let's make distinctions here, because we're immigration today is a lot different from immigration thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred years ago. Before you had immigrant immigrant populations coming to this country, who were willing and, and able and did work. They found jobs. They built lives for themselves and their families and and they worked hard obviously it was a different economy back then it was um a lot different back then in in many respects but today it seems like we so many people that we are bringing over automatically go on you know medicaid or medicare welfare social security it's like we're importing people who really uh we're importing people in order just to give them taxpayer benefits it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know that's not uh, 100% across the board, and who knows if it's even 50%. But there's no reason we should be importing people who are only going to contribute nothing and take anything they can. It doesn't make any sense when we can't even take care of our own people here. And, and again, this speaks to the purpose of immigration, legal immigration. What is the purpose of legal immigration? Is it a, is it a rescue operation? No, it's not. It's it's not designed to be a rescue operation. It's not designed, and for and, and that's the problem. People have been brainwashed into thinking that we have to take people from any country, right? Muslim countries, um, just to to equal 
and make more diverse the population in the United States, that's not the that's not the purpose of immigration. But the bottom line is, go back to 1965 and, and study what uh, what the Democrats under Johnson did and Johnson himself did to cause the issues that we're having today. And I'm not saying this that there's no racial discussion here at all. That's not even the point. It's it's a point about immigration itself and about the intent and the both cause and effect. So that's all. But I so I just want to pipe in there. Go ahead and finish. And we have uh, we have uh, dark journalist Daniel List with us, and we're gonna uh, bring him in on this conversation. Daniel, it's great to have you back on the show. Want to? Uh, why don't you just jump in? What hey, what, do you, what do you think's going on with the uh, Trump administration? What are your feelings on on DACA and immigration as a whole in general? Oh, it's great to be back with you guys. It's great to have you, man. You're looking dapper again, I tell you. <laughs> well, you dapper, guys are the sharp one. Dapper, dark uh, journalist. I, I love it. So, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely taking a look at the situation with Trump and seeing that, you know, the wall and a lot of these things that he was shooting for just became so difficult uh, for him. But, you know, it's fascinating if we think about it because automatically we have this idea that um, when we – look at things like the airport security measures since 9-11, for example, and how hardcore that is and how, you know, they're so built up so that we don't allow a terrorist into the country and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden, though, it's it's easy to get past the borders, right? And now there's any time you go to enforce the borders, there's some gigantic issue about it. So yeah, why is the – and Daniel, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you make a good point. Why are, why are uh, conservatives, why are the people who want – the laws on the books enforce somehow, uh, you know, the, the bad people in all this when we're just asking that the laws be upheld. There's no question. Uh, this is definitely a media operation, and, you know, they have their allegiances, and they have their own reasons for doing things and the groups that they work with. I happen to think that a lot of the immigration rules that when Trump is getting into that, he's getting into these areas where they allow drugs into the country, and I don't think that they want those operations interrupted. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there are groups inside that structure who cooperate in this drug business. And, uh, you know, we certainly see that there are a number of banks that do that, for example. And, uh, you know, some of the major banks like Bank of America get fined for basically uh, laundering the drug money. So there's some aspect there that has incredible pull, and that's a very large deep state pull around this immigration issue because if you do things like secure your borders, it's going to be much more difficult to get those drugs back and forth the way that they come in to the country now. And, uh, you know, they come in from South Central and uh, with the Mexican cartels, and it's it's a real scourge. You know, um, we have areas up in New England which never had drug epidemics, never had drug problems, and uh, now they are you know, the, the very epicenter of these different heroin crises and things like that in places like Maine. I mean, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. So we certainly see a connection there between the drug aspect and the immigration aspect. And until you get a handle on that and really understand the forces that are moving drugs into the country and the types of payoffs that go on automatically, um, I don't think you get a real answer on the immigration question. Yeah, and I Good think point. you're right. And, you know, whether we have an actual physical wall or whether there is a number, I believe a layered security approach um, would be just as good as a physical wall. But uh, the, definitely, um, Trump well, this week—it's been, now, but it's been um, 
an interesting week to watch, you know, what's been coming out of the White House and out of the press about this DACA, and it seems to have uh, gone on both sides of the spectrum from, you know, Trump ready to, to basically give blank an amnesty to uh, today he's saying, you know, he's not going to do anything without the border wall funding. So it's definitely um, very interesting, and it's obviously a controversial topic with the political climate in the country. Daniel, I want to move on, if we can, to what we saw from Project Veritas and Twitter uh, these last few days. And I know that there's going to be a number of other videos released. And if, for those of you who have not heard, uh, James O'Keefe, in a year-long undercover operation, has exposed some of the inner workings of Twitter by employees, uh, on high-level Twitter employees' own words on undercover videos, from everything from shadow banning to, you know, selling any and all content from from pictures you upload to to uh, even messages you delete on Twitter. Basically, they uh, abuse their privilege on the social media uh, platforms to gather and sell information. And I guess it's not illegal, right, because we sign that people who use the, these services sign the agreement, the terms of service, but it's very unethical, and, it, and it's very eye-opening. If you guys haven't seen the videos, go watch the videos that were released, and I, I heard O'Keefe on Savage yesterday, and several more are going to be released. But uh, what do you make of, of what we see here in the inner workings of Twitter? Is this a surprise you, or, or is this about what you expected? Well, this is the Davos crowd taking over. There's no question about it. Uh, I think that is a shocking report, and I think we need to spend a lot of time taking it in. Uh, so I'd suggest we spend a lot of time and really go through the details that he found out. And uh, he has single-handedly brought more information to the public and transparency on a number of issues that we just weren't getting any real information on. So those undercover sting operations he does, I don't know how he can continue to pull it off, but it's remarkable, and uh, our hats are off to him. I would say this about the Twitter part, which is these groups are very controlled, and when you go into social media... Um, when you have somebody who's really popular on social media, and we've seen them pop up who are espousing a conservative cause or a pro-Trump cause or something like that or something that uh, these guys would disagree with, the shadow banning goes into effect. Now, I'm used to the shadow banning that happens uh, because of the topics that I cover about the deep state, and there's no question. You know, I get these screen snaps all the time from different subscribers, and they say, hey, look, this, every time I go to get your content, it says, go back to safety. There's harmful content here if you press the button. So, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting, right? Catherine Austin Fitz or, or Professor Scott being harmful. <laughs> uh, well, it's harmful to those guys um, because of the kind of allegiances that they have. I have seen that but on yours, by the way. I have seen that on yours, and yes, I can yeah, attest yeah. to that. Go ahead. <laughs> no question. Uh, and But I think that they target alternative media generally because they need those ears back. They need that market share back. They need that control back. And over the past seven years in particular, they haven't been able to get it. And I think that they finally lost control of that aspect of the media uh, during the 2016 election when they couldn't create this Hillary inevitable campaign. It didn't work. And uh, that was largely because of the alternative media. The alternative media stepped in a few times. I remember uh, during the Syrian chemical warfare, uh, you know, charges, and there was that big push to go to war with Syria at that point, and we just did not have the data, and they were really pushing it. And it was really largely the independent media that stopped the operation by just bringing these facts out too quickly. And so the media has to get the alternative media back in the box. And certainly the way we spread the message is we get everyone hooked into the technology. They're hooked into 
Snapchat, they're hooked into Facebook and Twitter, and once they get them there, you know, what was he saying uh, to O'Keefe in the Sting operation? You know, one of the main guys from Twitter, he was saying, you know, well, they'll just think that they're not getting hits on a particular thing, you know, but they won't realize why. And this is really how they downgrade the content. And they have a number of filters going on there. And I think it really should make us uh, desire more independent channels. I mean, I think YouTube is one of the greatest because it's just so large and you can reach such a, a great audience that it still is one of the best. But I do feel that um, all those rules kick into place there because, you know, Google just hired 10,000 new censors to go through YouTube content. So this is the way it's going to be. It's it's the independent media versus the mainstream corporate guys. Yeah, and it's um, it's it's shocking to see for some people, I'm sure, and it's uh, surprising to the extent that they're talking about it, even offering to send some of that information, just you know, without subpoena, without warrant, to the Department of Justice, some of Trump's personal information, and they even talked about the ability to change his tweets, to read his and everybody else's direct messages. That shadow, shadow banning is a really big thing. Uh, we see it quite frequently, and it appears that it's only on one side of the political aisle, which is it's only it's done by the left well, to the they right. Admitted it because we're right. rednecks, basically. Yeah, their words. Yeah, right, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is quite. You know, they had a stranglehold there when they had Obama in office. They had the Democrats uh, controlling the Congress, and uh, that type of power goes to your head. And, um, you know, let's face it, guys like Bezos and guys like, um, you know, the various Facebook guys, Zuckerberg, they, their allegiance is to the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, the Democratic Party is not the original Democratic Party either. It is a corporate head now, and it's largely, uh, you know, tight with the deep state. That's where things have developed. And I think that, you know, it's not really a Republican-Democrat conversation so much as it's really a corporate deep state versus an independent kind of uh, you know citizens based justice citizens based government and when they go to Davos you know it's interesting I actually was not too happy to see Trump attempting uh, that but he probably couldn't get out of it boy I want to get your take on that yeah go ahead well the thing is you know it's better messaging for him if he goes uh, you know I'm not going to attend this meeting but if he goes and he actually shows up and he brings a nationalist message, you know, that's not quite as good because I think the thing is not being seen with these kind of elite crowd because that is really a totally corporate government and we didn't sign up for that. And, uh, you know, it's great to have a successful corporation, but when the corporations start running the government, we know what that leads to. So I think it's bad messaging. Yeah, a- Absolutely. And any ideas on how we can uh, work to fix this or change this, or are we just going to have to find new platforms to work with? Uh, I do think that, you know, they always underestimate what the independent media can do. Um, you know, when I think about the amount of subjects that you guys cover and, you know, the people that you reach, and, uh, you know, when I talk to people, they've seen different shows that you've done and the, the type of stuff that we do or that Catherine Fitz does I mean it's it's really deep out there. You can't put that genie back in the bottle, and I think this is what they're trying to do over and over again. Um, I think that they have a kind of a certain overconfidence because you know they have the CNNs, they have the MSNBCs, and when we look at it this way, you know they really do have the big megaphone. But the fact is that the independent has the 
truth on their side, and it's very hard to get around that. Um, you know, you take really hardcore situations uh, like the 2008 financial coup d'etat, you know, certain things, like people understand things about them that we're not getting the whole truth about these things, and this is what just led to so many questions. It's what spawned the independent media, which really grew out of a lot of the questions that arose in the 60s and 70s about different things the government was involved in, um, and, you know, unusual assassinations like JFK and RFK, things that didn't add up and people weren't getting the answers from their government, and this independent wave grew uh, through things like AM radio and books and newsletters and things. and But it was really the Internet that brought it home as a force. And uh, its peak moment uh, on the independent side so far was 2016 with the election. And uh, I think 2017, we've seen a number of crackdown efforts. And we've actually seen legislation um, that came out in early 2017 to block a lot of, uh, you know, that Portman bill was unbelievable because it literally... It, it created financing for opportunities to imitate uh, the alternative media, which I, I think is one of the most interesting bills because what it does essentially is it says we have to kind of, on a government level, infiltrate this independent thing that's happening in order to understand it and control it, and uh, we, we've certainly seen a lot of that. Yeah, we have, and Daniel, I'm sorry, I, I skipped over the, the Davos thing. I think I, I never moved off the, the social media <laughs> And as soon as I asked the question, my dad said, "You know, we we were talking about Davos, and I oh no, it's like it uh it was like a brain fart there." <laughs> now we're we're covering all the right stuff tonight. So far, we're we're gold. Well, you, you know, one thing I really want—I was just itching to, uh, to to get your um and, and feel free to change topics at will as well. But I was really wanting to get your take on the uh, on the whole the. In my view, the coup attempt, the, the political assassination attempt by the deep state against Donald Trump, as we saw with the with the dossier, with the uh, funding of GPS, uh, Fusion GPS, the uh, FBI, and so on. I mean, what a what a mess! Amazing. You know, yeah. So uh, just and it's ahead. still it's still ongoing in yeah. the sense that uh, Mueller's out there. And he's being funded to find any dirt that he can on a story about Russian collusion that's completely discredited. That's right. So, um, and, and, at, and I just want to tie that up with the, with the recent Pfizer renewal too. So, or NDA yes. renewal. I'm sorry. So go ahead. Um, I do feel like uh, we're in such a, a position. You know, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves about is we're still under emergency rules from 9-11, and those keep getting renewed all the time, and we see this happen over and over again uh, with the NDAA. I don't feel like it's understood, uh, you know, because it's just like, well, we had a major terrorist incident, and, and I'm not going to go into the details around 9-11 here, but obviously there was a lot of questions to that, and now we have a whole different set of rules, and I think the implications of it when you get 15, 16 years out it starts to go away in your mind, you know, but um, those emergency rules are rules that we're still living under. And, um, you know, that state of emergency should be lifted. There's ways to compensate for the security aspects of it. But, um, you know, things like warrantless surveillance, um, that's not a very American thing. And they've been bringing these forward, and these are very... Um, you know, these are the kind of centralizing tools that they need, I feel. So when we're looking at this, Trump 
I think as a character, regardless of, of how you come out on the political spectrum, you'd have to say that Trump was a change candidate um, and brought a number of things into the political spectrum that weren't thought of before. He talked about, you know, the link between uh, vaccines and autism. He talked about the JFK assassination anomalies. He talked about 9-11. He brought a lot of things in that were so controversial. And uh, the audience, you know, the voters really responded to that. And he said, well, we should be all about America. You know, we shouldn't be about building up the world into these corporate zones. Now, certainly there were, there were some things he sounded better on as a, as a candidate than as a president. And I think it's been difficult for him to find the balance. But the attempt to remove him from power is so deep in the deep state. It's, it comes right out of the CIA FBI apparatus. And we have to ask ourselves, are those the people that are running the country? Or do we have a president who runs the country that we elected? And uh, this is why over and over again, when we see the presidents get in, who look at these situations like Kennedy, and when we've seen the, the different uh, Senate committees that have looked into the CIA's activities, they always try to get that under control. And the CIA would do different things. They'd go underground. You know, they created something called the Safari Club in the late 70s. Uh, so that these guys who were very powerful in the CIA but had been fired or removed could still operate and work together with other countries and arms manufacturers and things like that. So when Reagan got in, boom, they just show up and they're all ready to go. So I think that we have to understand the history of the CIA in order to understand the current difficulties because Trump's main difficulties, in my opinion, in governing lie with the resistance inside of the Central Intelligence Agency. Daniel, you brought up several very uh, important topics while you were just giving that explanation, and one of them was the the rabid left's uh, attempt to impeach Trump. Now, we have the 2018 elections coming up uh, this year, and we've heard a number of people's perspective on where they think this is going to go. You know, a year ago, when after Trump's inauguration, uh, when we talked about the 2018 elections, we saw those first five special elections after the election went the to the right, went to the Republicans. And it was a big deal in the media, and they, CNN was all upset, the left was all upset. And then we had these last two elections, the one in Virginia and the one in uh, Alabama, that went to the left. And many people have been really talking about this 2018 election as far as the historical, uh, w- with the new president in office, you have the history of the other party usually gaining power back in the Houses of Congress. Do you think that... Uh, the American people understand that the Congress, if they vote in a Democratic Congress and Senate, that's one of the first things they're going to want to do is impeach Trump? Absolutely. Uh, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, let's look at a couple of things. By the way, no one could have saved that Alabama. Uh, right. You know, but that's not Trump's fault for sure because that candidate was completely flawed and that's just all there was to it. And uh, as I understand it, Trump was against him to start with, so he wasn't even his pick. He was just trying to take that out of the fire at the last minute and, um, you know, <laughs> nothing was going to save that guy. Right. Luther Strange uh, was the establishment pick. On yes. The right. right. And uh, he would have been, you know, he, he was definitely more of a mainline guy. And uh, certainly the the candidate that they wound up with sounded better and he had all the constitutional roots. But uh, they, they, they went into his past to such a degree that it was going to be an intolerable situation. Um, but I do think that you are looking at a shift, and you're absolutely right, which is the Democrats are poised to take a lot of control back in the 2018 elections, unfortunately, uh, because I don't think that they handled that so well when they had the power. The problem with Trump 
in his governing is that he has opposition on the right and opposition on the left because he's almost like an independent candidate. And when you get into that situation, the establishment kind of gangs up to get rid of you. And I think that some of the Republicans would be just as happy, like a guy like McCain, for example, would be just as happy if the Democrats did that. So this is the other problem, which is inside the Republican Party, they're not united around their president. They have both houses of Congress and the presidency. They should be rifling legislation left and right. Instead, he can barely squeak out a tax cut bill. And, you know, certainly it's an important bill and there's, you know, ups and downs with it. But really, you know, I think when you look at a number of things that he's tried to do and lay across, and he's going to try a lot more in 2018, the resistance is on the Republican side very often. And, you know, those guys moving slow. And you can tell that Ryan really punted on everything, except when he got around to the tax cut thing. There were some things that he could warm up to for his own constituents. But I don't think that Trump has had the backing of his own guys. That's the number one problem when you're a president, because the opposition is one thing. You can always rail against the opposition. You can always get things done. And even if the opposition stops you, you can retake the political scene. You know, you can win the next round of elections. But if your own guys are against you, you're not going to be able to get a whole lot done. And I think Trump, being a CEO for so many years, has really helped him because he's found ways and means around the resistance and ways and means around, you know, the kind of blocks that they've put up on both ends of the political aisle. But what does that tell us about the country, which is that these parties are completely beholden now to different corporate interests. And whatever those corporate interests want, you know, we know that Howard Schultz, before he stepped down from Starbucks, his main thing was we have to find a way to get rid of Trump. I mean, these guys do not want Trump in there. And, you know, because he is, although he's from a business background, he is a populist president in the grand, in the larger scheme of things. And, you know, he has that American connection. He is about bringing the jobs back into America. Their whole thing is to split up the world into different zones, free business zones for them. And North America is just another zone. Yeah, it is. And the plans of the globalists, at least as far as what we saw with Bush and Obama, have really been pushed back with Trump. And you know how angry they're patient. But if they can find a way around that, they're definitely going to do that. And, you know, this gets into talks of the deep state. Fusion GPS, the FBI, the Uranium One stuff. What Trump today called Peter Strzok, the FBI agent, who was texting messages to his uh, mistress, Lisa Page, about the insurance policy and, and how to help Hillary and how to you know bring Trump down. He called those actions treasonous today. Yep. Do you agree that, that that's treason? Well, I, I that's the kind of rhetoric when your president is a little tricky. You know, you, you probably want to hold off. <laughs> yeah. But I do, you know, uh, but I do agree if somebody looks at it, um, you know, the Uranium One scandal is... It's fascinating because they used great reverse psychology on the Clinton side for this, which is that they spent all their time attacking Trump and Russia. Mm-hmm. When she did one of the worst deals for America in terms of our nuclear weapons capability and giving it to the Russians, which she was saying are our sworn enemies, up and down. But there's something behind all of that Russian stuff that they were doing besides the incredible money that Clinton received. Um, and again, you know... Clinton really used her Secretary of State position like a roulette wheel and, and just made all these business deals. It's incredible 
on everything from uh, the actions that she took in Libya to what you're talking about with Uranium One, I really do feel like there was a great abuse of power there. And I think that this whole structure was lining up to create a kind of government-in-waiting with the Clinton administration that was supposed to happen. But instead, they got Trump, and they, they literally were so poised and so tied in there with the national security state around Clinton, with the corporate interests around Clinton, that when he got in, I think it's just the shock to the system. And the CIA, I think, at points, you know, the intelligence community were trying to think of ways before he even got inaugurated to just keep him out. And that's where the dossier came from, which was one of the flimsiest things I've ever seen them use. And uh, one of the fascinating things and one of the real tricks to the CIA and, you know, these forces that are in there, obviously deep in the FBI, is when they come forward, when they're showing themselves, you know, when you have guys like Clapper coming out and really showing his hand, these are the types of bureaucrats that really stay underground. So for them to come out so ferociously against Trump, and so publicly and using anything, trying to get anything, shows me that they made deals all along the way that Clinton was going to get in. And when she didn't get in, they had to do whatever they could to to cover themselves. And uh, that was to make a big noise and to try to take Trump down. And it was a it was a foolish approach because that whole Russian story is one of the worst. Uh, it, it had no legs. And one of the things that I've seen really is that Mueller is using the kind of tactics that are classic for the deep state, which is he's trying to get it into a point where he can make deals by threatening certain people and taking people like Flynn and trying to get them to turn on Trump. And, uh, you know, so these are the types of tactics that we see. So I think it is Mueller and his situation could turn into a constitutional crisis if the Democrats get back in power. I totally agree. And I'll tell you something. I, I see so many people believing, I, I don't know, maybe it's just that they want to believe that Mueller is actually covertly working behind the scenes for Donald Trump. But when, when you look at all of the actions, no. You look at, at, at you know, at least 10 of, of the uh, uh, team of lawyers all committed to the DNC or Hillary or, you know, as well as connected to really deep state actors. So, yeah. I don't think this. And to, to me, this is a, this is a, a deep state operational takedown or attempted takedown of President Donald Trump. And, and more importantly, one last thing: um, the attempted takedown or censure censure of the will of the American people. Um, you know, the, the people that who elected Donald Trump. That's kind of what the way I look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's changing the results of an election is what they're trying to do. Right. Um, because they think they can get a better deal by removing Trump and putting Pence in there because Pence will be afraid after what happens, you know. He'll be easier to control, and he's more of an institutional guy anyway. Um, but I do feel like you're hitting it uh, right where it is, which is, you know, these moves. See, what they did with Trump is fascinating because right from the very beginning, they had to remove his various lieutenants. And uh, so we saw guys like Flynn and you know, Bannon and people like this just getting thrown out left and right. Um, and, and Bannon was the toughest one, I think, to make leave because of the, the situation and the scenario he was in. And I don't think he was very um, slick politically. This is another thing that was a problem. You know, he's used to being a rowdy editorial guy and a lot of newspaper guys and, you know, that whole end of things. They're not really good with politics. They know the political scene, but they're they're tough as far as public figures go and they're not easy to to work with 
And uh, so this whole thing with Bannon turning on Trump, you know, as kind of spite after he got marginalized in the Trump White House, this is the type of thing that the deep state was really rooting for. And they probably sent their own people in there to really make this happen. You know, I think on a number of occasions we've seen people go into the Trump White House and we're like, you know, these are not the people we want to, these are like Bush era people that we don't want to ever see again. Um, so that type of thing, they had to get rid of Bannon because he had an independent eye and he was very influential on Trump, I think. But now it's a disaster to think about Bannon turning on Trump and basically undercutting his own legacy. This is the type of static uh, that the deep state loves, and they, they certainly, when you get a political figure who's going against the grain of either party, you know, those, they'll do it to a Democrat or a Republican. And, 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 yeah, and to your credit, I'll just tell our audience this, if you didn't catch the previous shows with the Dark Journalist, darkjournalist.com and at, at darkjournalist on Twitter, um, to your credit, you called this on previous programs. You had you had indicated, or you had kind of outlined the strategy of the deep state, and I, I mean I remember speaking with you on on this on this show, and uh, following your uh, your show as well, and, and your website right on the money. So now let's take it to the next step. Where's this going? Or where do you, where, that, where do you see it going? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, the thing is that the type of reporting that you guys do on this also helps because it gives us context and you guys are doing these regular shows on a regular basis talking to people like Corsi and all the rest of it and we do we get a better understanding of how the deep state is moving to marginalize Trump and ultimately get rid of him uh, I do think it would be a constitutional crisis if they try to get rid of him and if they use this uh, I, I think what's happening is that Mueller is moving towards more indictments and he's you know, Trump is not going to speak with them, uh, <laughs> and I think that's that's smart. He doesn't have to, and he shouldn't. Um, but I do feel that um, what is it that we're actually talking about? We're talking about the idea that the Trump administration colluded with the Russians and uh, allowing basically the Russians to interfere with the election so he could get in. What is the good evidence for that? It doesn't exist. And if there was evidence, it would have leaked. And as Jack Kosovic said yesterday, you know, first it was Russian hacking. Now it's moved on to this Russian collusion narrative. Mueller's gone well outside the scope of his investigation. And collusion isn't even a crime, even if they did find, you know, uh, what they're, the collusion they're looking for. And and former, former federal prosecutor Sidney Powell said, uh, uh, I loved it when she said, this is not mission creep. This this is creeps on the mission. And (laughs) uh, I guess that's, that's kind of right, uh, kind of correct. So. There's yeah. no question about it. I'd say that they want to finish the job that they started, and um, they can't seem to take it from the point of view that, okay, we tried this out, it didn't work, and we have to kind of wrap up a few indictments and get out of here. They want it to be an ongoing, you know, it's probably payback for Whitewater or payback for one of those Ken Starr, you know, uh, examinations. Uh, but I, I happen to think that it's the same types of forces operating, you know, um, that were the same ones who were trying to rifle Hillary Clinton down our throat. One thing I forgot to mention uh, when we were talking about the uranium one thing, when you get into Hillary and what they were working on with that campaign, they were working on a total Cold War 2.0 scenario. And it's kind of fascinating because they were ratcheting up the, ref- the rhetoric against Russia. But the deal was that we didn't really have any problems with Russia, except for the fact that we were encircling them all of a sudden. 
you know, and it's not like Putin was some nice guy who we should trust everything he says, but he wasn't giving us any kind of a particular problem. But Hillary Clinton made it sound like, you know, uh, Russia was Iran or something. I mean, they they were really pushing it. And it turns out that they were renewing the nuclear weapons, um, you know, and they already spent a trillion dollars doing this and they plan to spend more. So they're doing this whole renewal program on nuclear weapons. And I think that they figured out the perception problem, which is if they don't, there's no perceived nuclear enemy, there's no reason to ramp up our defenses. And they really wanted Russia as, as a big enemy so that they could basically do giveaways for their friends in the Pentagon. And uh, this is the way that, you know, Clinton, she used her position as Secretary of State to develop those relationships. And certainly Bill had them. So I think that the Clinton Foundation, in a sense, uh, was a way of keeping those connections operational until she got into office. So, uh, you know, we're looking at incredible... Um, crimes that were committed there in the grand scheme of things. And I, I think the idea that they're opening up indictments around that is, is good news. Uh, you know, or at least taking a look at an investigation into the foundation. It's something that they punted on when they got in. I'm not sure why. Maybe they didn't want to look mean-spirited. It's possible. But it is very important to shake out everything that the Clintons were doing on that because, yeah. you know, I mean, if they were willing to create a phony Cold War 2.0, World War Three scenario just to cover themselves, then I think it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that um, we really have to take a look at and see that kind of abuse of power is way greater than anything that Mueller is trying to find. You know, did Donald Trump's son meet with some Russian? You know, it's ridiculous. First of all, the Trumps being in real estate in the 90s, if you're in real estate in the 90s, you're going to know a lot of Russians, you know, like they're going to fund things. That's the way this money works. The Clintons all through the 90s, they were funded by Chinese money, and it wasn't even legal for the Chinese to, yeah. uh, you know, donate that money to elections in the period. So, you know, if you want to go down that route, there's certainly lots of blame on, on either side. But, no, there's no real case here, I think, to remove Trump and or indict him or his, his officials. This is a totally political game. It is, Daniel. Just we got about 15 minutes left, and I want to switch gears here. This is what I really wanted to talk to you about. I, I watched a video you did earlier this week, and uh, you made an argument about this QAnon phenomenon that I've been uh, talking with different people about, and nobody seems to get my references until I heard your video about the Benjamin Fulford, David Wilcock, uh, yes. intergalactic federation. Yep. And uh, you know that made me smile. But you got you and me have the, <laughs> the same um, ideas and, and uh, reservations about this Q phenomenon. Can we get into this a little bit? Absolutely. Um, well, Q is uh, just an anonymous poster on these 4chan and 8chan boards, which are basically almost like Reddit. You know, it's the kind of thing you just roll in there and you post stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of the posts you wouldn't want to see twice. So it's not exactly known for, uh, you know, it's not the kind of information sharing place that I would go to ordinarily. It's it's very unsafe. And certainly, uh, you know, there might be some good groups on Reddit, of course, who do things. But um, I think... With this, out of the blue, it showed up and it said, oh, I have all this intelligence. And it was such a mishmash of topics from the alternative media that I think we were looking at a situation that was really, no, it was a very well-coordinated, well-written, and, you know, well-laid-out. And so I understand, you know, I've seen shows that you guys have done with people like Jerome Corsi looking at it and saying, well, there is some intelligence people involved behind this. And 
when I was speaking with uh, Dr. Farrell about it, he came to the same conclusion that there were intelligence people behind it, uh, but w- we just came to the idea that this is more like a, a fantasy, you know, a justice fantasy, saying, like, the White Hats are in charge and the Alliance is in charge and, um, you know, Hillary's at Gitmo and Soros is at Gitmo and tribunals will start up. Well, if you're around the kind of new age uh, end of, of the spectrum, if you look at some of the alternative media that comes out of that, you hear a lot of these fantasy narratives. And, uh, you know, so we hear a lot of things about, well, you know, we've signed this deal and now the cabal is coming down. They're all going to be arrested. Yeah, Daniel. And, and let's explain this and break this down a little bit because apparently a lot of people don't remember the uh, Benjamin Fulfords and David Wilcox who would put out you know, reports, a paragraph, and then you'd have to pay, uh, you know, five, ten bucks for the rest of it. And they would say that there were, yeah. you know, for weeks and months and even years on end, they would keep this scam going where there was massive, you know, arrest of the, uh, cabal or Illuminati or elites or whatever you want to call them. And there was, as you said, it's, it's just as fantasy. Now, you, in your video, you pointed out rightly that there's a lot of information in these posts that cannot be dismissed. But what you just highlighted, some of these other claims that are, are scattered about in these posts of, you know, are the, the Podestas being indicted, George Soros at Camp David, these things are exactly what we saw, you know, 10 years ago when this was going on. So maybe that, that's jade, made us jaded more so than other people. And then there's this cult around this this Q phenomenon. And it's almost like if you don't buy into everything and you don't put your whole faith in, in what this guy says, somehow you hate Trump and are un-American. And it's really it really gets under my skin when I see this group, this group think, especially when it's leading people to a place of complacency, aside from, from some research projects, I guess you could say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you hit it right on the head, which is, the problem with Q is they're saying basically all this stuff, good stuff is going down. Don't worry, the good guys are in charge. Sit back with your popcorn and watch the fireworks. And um, what I think is fascinating about it, and what we pointed out in the video, is that they really seem to have targeted this patriot movement. They seem to have targeted the America First people. And, and that's my problem with, with all this yes. whole thing. Okay, so go ahead. Well, absolutely. And, but I, here's some encouragement for you, which is a lot of those people that got involved with it, it's only been around for two months. And my feeling on it, um, well, I'll tell you the encouragement part first, which is a lot of the people who were involved in it on the ground in the beginning are now starting to turn on it and say, whoa, I have a lot of questions. And what is really going on here? And, you know, why are they creating this oracle, this Wizard of Oz that's supposed to tell me all these things that are happening on the intelligence side? And, you know, it, they have this whole fall the white rabbit thing, and they use all these code words and stuff. You know, let's speak in plain English. Let's go for common sense. You're an anonymous poster. Um, you know, I, this I, is. Yeah. A- I, I couldn't follow the white rabbit. I I got, I got no clue what the hell that's all about. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, right. Well, this is a very interesting thing that they've done here, uh, which is they've created a faceless, nameless experiment, and they put. There's no question, as uh, Corsi and Farrell said, the the original information that they put out in those first few weeks of November, um, definitely had the stamp of someone who understood intelligence or a group that was operating and were giving out different things, you know. Um, and they were giving out details about incidents over time, you know. But so much of it seemed to me, and this is one of the things I talked with Dr. Farrell about it, was it seemed almost like an artificial intelligence program that had algorithmically sized up 
the entire alternative independent community and figured out all the different horizontals of the areas that they were interested in. So, you know, whether it was chemtrails or whether it was, you know, justice, um, pedogate justice, you know, and these things that were important and that had been brought forward by, you know, important shows in the alternative media, like the work that you guys do, I can easily see them studying your work over the course of a year and grabbing a number of titles and a number of keywords out of it and regurgitating it into this mess that came out as Q. And certainly it was skillfully done, but uh, this is an era of transparency and the idea that some phantom behind a computer is going to lead us around and Basically, I think what they were doing is replacing the alternative media. I think this was the setup for it. And it could very well be the people that the Patriot movement or a Trump supporters would be 100% against. And this is the important thing to realize when the QAnon phenomena showed up. It was saying all the things that these people want to hear. And it was like a wish fulfillment fantasy. Uh, you know, hopium, I think, is this term for it. And by making them get hooked on this idea that everything was all right and, you know, people were getting tried at Gitmo. And it was funny because I was thinking, you know, I've seen this in like 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And Ben Fulford was a guy who was a journalist who, uh, you know, kind of dropped out. And he went to Japan and he started writing these wild newsletters. And people bought the stuff because Gaia TV, which is into this kind of, crazy programming about uh, intergalactic space wizards and stuff, they started to really heavily promote it. And, you know, guys... They talk about rescue aliens, good aliens, <laughs> you know, coming here to dispose of the, the world leaders. And they had people yeah. buying this stuff for months and years on end. David Wilcock, too. Many of you don't yes. know his New Age history. Uh, you might only see him on the uh, an interview here or there on the History Channel. This guy is bad news, and you should look at some of his history. As well, oh, but yeah, it's the same parallels with that. Com complete distraction operation. Um, and those people, you know, actually last night he declared that one of his partners, one of his media partners was Enoch. Okay. Uh, you know, so. I know he's yeah. channeled raw on YouTube videos before, wow. so that's not that far out. <laughs> see, of the I don't follow, see, that's one thing I don't follow. I, I don't even, I, I don't have time for that. Well, for the, the real alternative media about, what, six, seven years ago, this was, you know, Big news, oh, it and then major. it turned into a big. Uh, it was. Oh yeah. You just everybody made fun of it after that for a while. But this is something that's been going on for a long time. But I, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to talk about Assange a little bit. But the the Q stuff, the information. I'm not disputing a lot of the information that he puts out there. It's just this uh, having people deceiving themselves into believing, as you said, that somebody else is taking care of the problem, and you don't have to worry about it. That's a, a big problem. And then some of these more outlandish claims and this uh, alleged insider info. Um, there's a lot wrong with it. I'm telling people just to be cautious and and don't you know jump in with Look, both. Don't feet. lose hope. Right. But don't don't put your hope in something like that. Right. Um, well, we we have a research community. You know the work that you guys do, um, the work that Catherine Austin Fitz does. Catherine Austin Fitz with Professor Mark Skidmore yep. at Michigan State University found 21 trillion dollars missing from the federal government, DOD, and HUD. I mean that's what we should be going after, right? And one of the other things I wanted to mention about Q that I think is a very negative action is if you look at certain issues and if you type in certain issues for searches, you're getting a lot of Q materials. So it's invading the search engines, uh, you know, and pushing down people like Fitz or pushing down people from finding the really good information. So I do not support um, the Q stuff because you can't show, even the people who believe in it completely, 
say that it was hacked and somebody else started posting as Q. I mean, what kind of security is that? And, and Daniel, so, let me ask you this. Uh, we have so much information on, on Hillary Clinton, on all these people, all their crimes, their system of, of corruption. What information is going to come out that, you know, is going to, people are going to say, oh, aha, let's go, you know, take our country back. If we haven't seen that yet, I don't see any further piece of information that's going to, you know, organize people to take action, I guess is the point, but. Well, you know, supposedly now with the predictions that they were making, there were all these senators were supposed to have been rounded up last Sunday, and this is it, right? But I guess they showed up for work on Monday, so it didn't come to pass. You know, it's a weird situation. The problem is we cannot, even if you get good information off of a 4chan board or something like that, which is fine, and certainly there are good groups that study these things, but you cannot elect this Wizard of Oz oracle in the dark, a faceless, nameless thing that gives you breadcrumbs, and, you know, they created in installments like it's a Netflix series. Uh, you know, we've been around, and we understand there's good information, there's good researchers, there's people who've put themselves on the line to get this stuff out, and that's where we should put our trust because we can see those people, we can talk to those people, we can check their information. That's the kind of journalism that we want to do. We don't want somebody posting on a board and everybody getting into it to a point where they trust some computer algorithm that's feeding them information. And like I said, it could very well be that it's the corporate media trying through these boards to look independent and saying, you know, telling that independent media, hey, this is everything you want to hear and just, you know, make sure that you listen to us. And by the way, you can't listen to these other boards. You know, you have to really hunker down with us. It's, it's a replacement for the independent media. That's what they were, that's what the experiment was, in my opinion. And uh, it's an experiment that is going to fail, but certainly that type of thing I think is very dangerous. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm glad that uh, I found that video in there. I see some other people in there who are skeptical as well, and uh, that that's good. You say you have some information on, on Assange besides the, the passport stuff that's going on, where Ecuador apparently um, gave him a passport so where he can become a citizen of Ecuador and travel back to Sweden. What, what else is going on with Assange? Well, this is really interesting. I I donate to Assange, and uh, I got a message saying that the donation had bounced back, and I wondered what it, what was going on. They were no longer accepting donations, and it was really a puzzle until at the end of the day, they sent me an email, and they said, we're no longer going to be taking um, donations through the Freedom Foundation, which they set up after this whole kerfuffle happened, and they put him in the embassy and all that. They're going to go back to their original funder where uh, it was a payment place in Germany and that's where they take their donations now and so that tells me something significant has shifted and that everything that you're hearing about passports and things like that and you know that is all coordinating with the idea that he's going to be able to get out of the embassy and he's going to be able to um, function like he was functioning before this all happened and they tried the real crackdown which I think is good news uh, because on the transparency side, he did a lot in the 2016 election. And, you know, a lot of those methods of people's emails being leaked and all the rest of it, you know, that's that's one other story. But I think overall, you know, something like WikiLeaks is so much more trustworthy than something like Q because there's somebody, there's an organization that we can look to and who needs, you know, has a track record of giving us information that we can sift through and isn't like a faceless, nameless thing. So I'm, I'm far more in favor of organizations that do that kind of work. That's right. My friend, uh, we, we got 30 seconds left. The Dark Journalist, darkjournalist.com, at Dark Journalist on Twitter. You get the final 30 seconds, however you want to take us out. 
Uh, well, I have a show, a live broadcast on YouTube tomorrow night, and it's going to get into this space war concept, but it's okay. a different kind of space war. This is more of a bureaucratic one, and it has to do uh, with this Zuma satellite and the SpaceX blow up in this very secret satellite that got lost uh, a couple of days ago oh, yeah. and how that ties in with the Trump Space Council announcements. Uh, I think these are very important uh, you know, behind-the-scenes actions that are happening because that space economy is going to be so important in 2018 through 2020. All right, and people can go to darkjournals.com for information about that broadcast tomorrow night? or Yes. Okay, perfect. Yes, and you can go to darkjournals.com and the information for uh, the live broadcast. It's going to be at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. All right, very good. Daniel, thank, thank you. you so much for, for the time. It was a very informative interview, and we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Nice to see you as well. You take care of yourself. God bless, my Have friend. Have a great night. Folks, remember right back. That was uh, that was a dark journalist. I got to tell you, a lot of great information, a lot of great measured analysis and assessment. You're listening to the Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. That's the place to go. Follow us on Twitter at Hagman Report. We're going to be right back. See where we're at. edition of the Hagman Report. A little bit of a mechanical snafu or technical snafu there. Not to worry, though. See, we, we uh, lost a minute. Yeah, that's okay. But we, we came back, and uh, I have to tell you, okay, because, and, and I'm being very serious about this, because of just abnormally severe weather conditions outside of the studio, you, you got no idea what, really how it affects the broadcasting. You've got uh, temperature fluctuations of 40 degrees. Uh, today, as a matter of fact, it was like 50, almost 60. It was 60. Uh, okay, and then now, we got an ice storm. 36 hours from now, it's going to be all ice and a lot of it. So, and snow, and then down to 20. So, the reason I mentioned that is it does play havoc on a lot of the, the lines. And But all that said, um, you know, folks, I, I would direct you to HagmanReport.com and check on the right-hand side because you will find information about the, uh, the, the 2018 Branson, Missouri Conference. Oh, my goodness. Just buckle your seatbelts. And uh, with us, with us is Steve Quayle and Timothy Alberino. Got a lot to talk about. You know, you've heard, of course, and you can read Drudge Report and all of the places that talk about the AI. The And, and you know, the, have you noticed the uh, immorality? Just give me a thumbs up and we're ready to go. Oh, okay. All right. The, the immorality. Um with respect to the, the sexual robots and things like that. And, and people think, well, it's, it's a fad or it's a trend or it's, it's just for the perverse. Eh, not so fast. That and um, a lot of other things. Our guests, Steve Quayle and Timothy Albrino, who I had the pleasure to meet. Uh, of course, I know Steve, but to meet Tim Albrino and Branson and uh, really spend some time. Uh, great individual. And, of course, Steve, my uh, brother from another mother, going to bring... Both of them on. Let's start with Steve. Steve, come on board, sir. Well, thank you, Doug. Probably one of the most problematic issues 
facing Christians is the fact that the oldest lie in the Bible, ye shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil, is now the biggest bait in technology by the billionaires, soon to be trillionaires, uh, on the planet. And what's happening, and you brought it up, and I'll, I'll deal with it uh, specifically, but our True Legends conference is coming up in uh, Branson, Missouri, September 14th through the 16th of 2018. We're focusing on transhumanism and the hybrid age. We're going to have a little different um, uh, agenda when I say that. You know, there's a lot of prophecy conferences out there. There's a lot of conferences that uh, settle on this, that, and the other thing. But we believe that, you know, by focusing on the biggest issue facing mankind, i.e., your very extinction, ladies and gentlemen, we can draw your attention to how this demands action and uh, resistance and a specific prayer that's going to be involving your children and grandchildren. So many times, Doug, I have heard that, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to be around here, so who cares? Well, if you understood what's going on and you have uh, been presented continually with, uh, you know, sex robots and, and all of the different things taking place and the basic no longer necessity to have human beings do your work for you, then you can understand how human beings become expendable. So our conference is going to be totally different. And Tim and I are going to talk at length about what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. Now, some of the speakers have not been announced. I'll tell you why. We're still negotiating, and, and two, of them are two of the most uh, famous uh, secular guys in the world who are recognized as some very powerful physicists and also a futurist who understands the very nature of what we're facing. We will have Hugo Deguerres, who is the author of, of uh, you know, the term the Artelec, one of the brightest brains, uh, chemistry, and robotics guys in the world. And so what we're trying to present is the world's view and then the Christian's view and response. And by the way, Jesus didn't leave us in the dark about this. I can say this, Doug, probably 99% of the Christians who've read Jesus said that if the days weren't short, there'd be no flesh left alive. Yet for the elect's sake, the days are going to be short and could have even imagined the degree of, um, how should I say this, contempt for humanity that would manifest in the technology of today. So we're pretty excited about this. And again, it's called Transhumanism in the Hybrid Age, and we believe we'll sell out really fast. Again, this isn't a bait-and-switch thing. We've contacted some pretty amazing people, and, uh, you know, you see them on televisions as experts, and it's a scheduling issue, or if we can't get them there, we're going to uh, basically provide continual updates on the True Legends website, the conference website. And, and how do I say this? We're going to lead everybody uh, to not only the the main topics of concern, but this is going to be different. It's going to be more what I would say continuing education up until the time of the conference. And and now I'm going to let Tim address it because if you've seen the website, he's been so focused on this. But we're going to talk later through the show and into the second hour about everything that you can imagine uh, or beyond what you can imagine is already in the works at some level by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. We were all treated to Jurassic Park with Michael Crichton and obviously everything that, uh, uh, you know, came out of the movies about reconstituting DNA, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, Tim, go ahead and take it and share uh, 
you know, your excitement and just go wherever you want to go. And when you're ready, you can give it back to me, but there's no hurry. Well, thank you for having me on, uh, Doug and Joe. And, and Doug, it was a fantastic meeting you in person in, in Branson. Um, and I hope to see you again this, this year at this uh, coming conference, the upcoming conference in, in September. Uh, I couldn't be more excited about the subject matter of this conference. By the way, before I go any further, our new website is gen6.com. That's G-E-N-S-I-X.com. And for those of you who want to jump on this immediately, because these tickets are going to sell out really fast, um, you can register for the conference at gen6.com. We've already got uh, a lot of people who registered. Our last conference sold out in three months. We think this one's going to sell out even faster. So let me get that out of the way. Now, as I was saying, the, the subject matter of this conference couldn't be more exciting for me, transhumanism and the hybrid age. And the reason why it is so exciting is because it is, it is the subject that I consider to be the most cutting edge and the most pertinent, the most important to the times in which we live. The implications of transhumanism, of the transhumanist movement, and of the hybrid age could not be more dire. The ramifications are extreme to the uttermost. And we're bringing together in this conference uh, some of the most powerful minds that have dealt with uh, transhumanism that that have developed artificial intelligence um, and that have been studying this topic. And uh, we've got, as Steve said, we've got a handful of speakers already announced. There are more to be announced. Some 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 big hitters in the world of of radio and and science are coming on board. And so um, we're very excited. We're we're extremely excited about this conference. Last year's conference was an extremely dynamic event. We got so much feedback after that, during and after that conference, so much feedback from people who attended the conference or who live streamed the, streamed the conference or who, who purchased the DVDs telling us that that was the most incredible conference that they had ever attended or seen. And the atmosphere in, 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 in that building at the Mansion Theater in, in Branson, Missouri was electric. And, um, we did not, and I've said this before on different radio programs and TV shows, we did not plan, we didn't uh, coordinate, the, the speakers did not coordinate, we didn't plan what we were going to talk about, we were not in communication as to what we were going to be discussing in our presentations at the conference, and yet, from, from Steve kicking it off with his intro all the way to the end of the conference, uh, we were all in sync. We were all synchronized together in uh, the message that that each of us brought forth, and it was it was absolutely divinely orchestrated, and it was incredibly powerful. So, um, so needless to say, we have we decided because of all the feedback that we were getting from everybody immediately after that conference, people were coming up to me and to Steve um, during the conference saying, "Please do another one next year." So Steve and I came back to to Bozeman and. And uh, we talked and we decided, let's launch another conference in 2018. And um, this year we're dealing with transhumanism in the hybrid age. And what, what a lot of people don't understand is that we're not just talking about artificial intelligence. We're not just talking about robotics. Um, we're not just talking about a couple of these emergent technologies. What is so powerful about the near future is the convergence of all of these emerging technologies together. 
And the convergence is going to lead to the redefining of human being. We, it will redefine what it means to be a human being on planet Earth. And again, the ramifications of that cannot be overstated. Um, and uh, a lot of people have, have forgotten that when we crossed over into the 21st century, on the 26th day of June in the year 2000, um, at the beginning of the second millennium, we entered the dawn of a new hybrid age. That was the day when the Human Genome Project was consummated, when Bill Clinton held his uh, the conference in, in the White House and they announced the consummation of the Human Genome Project. The human genome had been successfully mapped. That was the beginning of a new hybrid age. And when I say a new hybrid age, of course, what I mean by that is it's not the first hybrid age, it's the second. The first hybrid age happened before the flood of Noah, when the, when the watchers descended to the earth and inseminated human women and they gave birth to hybrids, giants and other hybrid entities. That was the first hybrid age. And remember, the first hybrid age culminated in the flood of Noah, the total destruction of the earth. We have now entered we are, we are more than a decade now, a decade and a half into the second hybrid age. And it's just beginning. And the second hybrid age will culminate in the destruction of the earth again, this time by fire, as prophesied in the scriptures and by, and by Jesus himself. That's the kind of, um, that's the kind of implications we're dealing with when we talk about transhumanism in the hybrid age. It, it isn't just a fad and interesting conference topic. It really is the most cutting edge issue of our time. And it really does have eternal implications when you talk about modifying the human genome or when you talk about the, uh, cyborg, cyborgization, um, of human beings m merging with machines and the artificial intelligence the nanotechnology, all of these technologies are converging as we speak. They're coming together, and there is a sinister purpose behind that convergence. There is a sinister purpose there that uh, we, we uh, that has been exposed um, to some degree in, in, in Steve's books and Tom's books, and that we're going to further discuss at the conference. And so, and by the way, uh, we're not anti-technology. This isn't a conference against technology. This isn't about being for or against uh, emerging technologies. This is about being for or against the human race as God created it. That's what this is about. The stakes could not be higher. And I think that it's important for people to understand that the technology of destruction, every one of the higher-ranking Oh, billionaire and uh, I call them technocrats are already gleefully talking about they shall be as God and, and have and achieve eternal life. Now that's in direct contradiction of the scripture. And by the way, when Bill Joy wrote, uh, wrote his uh, classic masterpiece, Why the Future Doesn't Need Us, I'm going to quote something, Doug, and then I'm going to deal with it. Joy argued, this is in the year 2000, okay? And I read this on the year. I remember the year it came out. 
obviously that was uh, seven years after I'd started on talk radio. Joy Bill Joy argues that developing technologies provide a, might, a much greater danger to humanity than any technology before has ever presented. In particular, he focuses on genetic engineering, nanotechnology, and robotics. He argues that 20th century technologies of destruction, excuse me, of destruction, such as a nuclear bomb, were limited to large governments due to the perplexity and the complexity and the cost of such devices, as well as the difficulty in acquiring the required millard, uh, excuse me, materials. But then he goes on to concern, he makes a statement that increasing computer power and when you're coupling it with uh, advances in biotechnology where now we've got even the basement biotechnicians altering their own DNA and uh, some of the advanced technologies we'll get into those like CRISPR technology CAS9 CAS9 the thing that people don't understand that guys like Tim and I and by the way Tom Horn and I and I think Tim by extension he'll get on the infamous list that Oxford University declared, I don't know if this is you know something to uh, scream about or say thank you Jesus over, but that Tom Horn, myself, and I think there are a few others named, are the leaders of the transhumanist resistance. Well, what I would like to say is I am, uh, and Tim is dedicated and Tom is uh uh, dedicated the rest of his life, amongst others who are out, you know, outspoken on this issue, of saying, look, the point is this is all designed to destroy that which God created in the Garden of Eden. Now, that which was created in the Garden of Eden, I'm on record, Doug, I've written, you know, you've read a lot of the stuff I've written. Tim and I have spoken about the pre-Adamic race. But so when Jesus said, just as in the days of Noah, so shall it be uh, in the coming uh, in the in those days up, leading up to the coming of the Son of Man. And what most people don't understand is prehistory prior to Genesis one one and one two. And by the way, this is in the book that Tom Horn and I wrote. I wish the title Cloud Eaters would have been a little bit more defined. And and the first uh, whatever five to seven chapters I wrote deals with the pre-Adamic rebellion of Lucifer and the destruction of the great civilizations of the Golden Age. Now, listen, Christians will fight over anything, but they won't fight for their very existence in the future. That's my new statement. Christians will fight amongst themselves over almost anything, but they won't fight, you know, I guess you'd say, in concert against that which is ready to destroy them. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you're talking to me, absolutely, it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. When I, when I do that, I'm, I'm trying to give you, you know, I mean, listen, Tim and I will get on a roll, brother, and I don't want to exclude you from your own show. Well, I'm going to tell you something. People tune in to hear you and Tim, not us. They can hear us, you know, all the other time. Yeah, but, but it makes perfect sense. And I, and I think the people really need to understand that's what, um, so continue. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and by the very definition of, some of the different policy and those who responded to Bill Joy's article with sarcasm and character assassination, they basically call guys like Tim and I and Tom Horn and others doom and gloomed techno-futurists. How about this? Reality-based futurists who know the outcome of technology. You know, it might surprise people that in Greek mythology, even, quote, the the 
gods made a robot named Talos, T-A-L-O-S. Some people believe, and I do, that it was the, if you will, the celebration of Talos, Talos, uh, that was a giant, 100 feet, you know, let's say 98 to 100 feet tall over the Colossus of Rhodes. But the point is that it's not something new, this desire for robotics. Now, I want to go on record, and I'm on record. I did Coast to Coast the other night for two hours. There is no such thing as sentience that will be achieved by artificial intelligence. Self-awareness, maybe. But there's, there are human factors of the spirit that cannot be repro reproduced in a godly function, but will be, be, I'm sorry, be reproduced in an ungodly function. Demons will pest, possess the machine. I think somebody said, wrote a book called The Ghost of the Machine. Uh, I'll be dealing at Branson about the ramifications of when machines become demon-possessed. When you're talking about autonomous robot swarms, and by the way, I think I was the first guy years ago to use the term slaughter bots, and now I see that others are using it. And just to put people on, on uh, uh, my critics at, at, at uh, silence them, when I share this, it's to illustrate the point. When Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, he was not just saying, okay, Satan, I'm up front. That's not what he was saying. He knew that no matter what he said, the devil would come to take away what he had spoken. So this is why, Doug, there's almost a time, if you will, lock on stuff that I talk about or write about. So it doesn't matter what the critics say or the haters, you know. Uh, it, what matters is the fact that you understand the ramifications because God declares the end at the beginning. That is what Jesus did, and that's why the parable of the seed that falls on the different ground. And that's why the birds of the air, a good example, uh, you know, come and steal away the seed, just like right now. What Tim and I are talking about, there are those listening all over the world to this broadcast. There are some that will receive it, pray about it, and know it's true. Others will say they're crazy and won't accept it. So we are now, uh, and I think I coined the term maybe a decade ago, 15 years ago, Technogeddon, okay, where technology will bring about the ultimate conflict between God and man. And listen, let me make something clear about the mark of the beast. In my, in my uh, educated and researched opinion after 45 years, you won't have to, the technology of the beast and the beast system is already here. But what most people don't understand is, is that you have to have a beast that you will demand his worship to put that into context. You got me? You won't be damned because of the technology of the beast. You'll be damned because the guy who claims to be God will uh, say, you either uh, worship me and acknowledge me or, you know, tickets off with your head. So while everybody's wrapped up in this technology and that technology, what we're trying to do in transhumanism and the hybrid age is lay this out. And thank God there are people that are much more uh, linear, defined, uh, Tim being one of them, Tom being one of them, and every other guest, uh, you know, that will be speaking there and the speakers in order to present such a linear, and these are words that are foreign to me, but the wonderful presentation that, that everybody gave, Derek Gilbert, L.A. Marzulli, the people that were at Branson one, let's just call it that, gave a wonderful presentation. The irony is, is that 
I needed another hour and a half to talk, and they cut me off. That won't happen this year. And for the record, I won't be the last speaker. I'll be probably one of the afternoon speakers. But as we get to the point of transhuman, the hybrid age, it was a hybrid, as Tim defined. Hybrids are what the fallen angels produced when they came unto the earth women and produced a race of giants. Again, I use two terms that most of my even fellow authors don't use. I use Nephilim and I use Rephaim. The Rephaim are the giants and Nephilim were those who descend from the fallen angels. The word Nephilim only appears in the Old Testament in Genesis 6 before the flood and then in, uh, you know, after the flood in the same statement. There were giants in those days and after those days. After those days is after the days of Noah. So this is a pretty exciting thing because we're going to be talking about how a DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, RNA, and all of the NAs and the variations of them are playing into DARPA's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency's Super Soldier Program. Now they've got muscles that are 200 times the strength of a human muscle. 200 times. So the thing that's interesting to me is that this conference, I'm choosing my words very carefully, this conference that we're uh, having that's going to, you know, take place on the 14th September in Branson, you mark my words, when we are at that conference, so much will have happened in leading up to that conference that it will almost be, seriously, I believe, an antidote from God to the speakers that will be there to basically... Uh, Try and help men's hearts not to fail for fear for looking after those things coming upon the earth. Go ahead, Tim. Well, I uh, a couple of years ago, actually about probably probably good eight years ago, um, I remember looking into the Human Genome Project and into a lot of the uh, emerging technologies, and I would discuss these things with some of my friends or family members. And they would always kind of roll their eyes and say, well, you know, that sounds like science fiction and, and, uh, it, it's, it's probably not going to turn out as drastic as you say, because I was saying, you know, at some point in the future, um, these technologies are going to be used to drastically modify human beings, to drastically modify the human race on a large scale. And today, uh, in the year 2018, actually starting probably back in 2014, um, we're in the midst of a new movement that is um, a movement that is taking the uh, gene editing technology out of the corporate laboratories and out of the, the government uh, laboratories and into the living rooms and basements of a new growing biohacking community, an international biohacking community. There is a burgeoning biohacking movement taking place right now, right under our feet at the grassroots level. And it's using the same technologies that these large corporations have been using for years, um, namely the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. And at this point in time, right now, you, could, you can go on the Internet and purchase a, CRISPR a CRISPR-Cas9 kit to modify your own DNA for less than $1,000. Less than $1,000. And there, so what's, what, 
what maybe 10 years ago seemed far off is now swiftly upon us. And uh, what the, the, the advances that some of these, that some of these biohackers, and by the way, many of these guys are not, they're not lettered. They, they, they don't have degrees. Um, they learn their craft on the internet or through, or through reading books and so forth. These guys have already achieved some absolutely incredible things. Um, they've already cured certain diseases in themselves, in their family members, and, and in their local clients who they work with. A lot of the uh, biohacking is taking place. People are doing experiments on their pets. Um, most of it's taking place on a, with, uh, using a bacteria, modifying bacteria. People are making glow-in-the-dark beer. They're making their pets glow-in-the-dark. And, and, and they're doing it in their basement, in their living room, in their garage. So the genetic revolution is upon us. It is here. And it doesn't do us any good to pretend that it's not here, to look away or to try and be willfully ignorant of the, the, of the world that is changing, again, beneath our feet. It is here, and it, it's going to have, as I said, dire implications for us and even more dire implications for our children and our grandchildren. And our kids are going to grow up in a world in which their, their classmates um, in college or even in high school are going to uh, outperform them, greatly outperform them, because they're going to have, uh, they're going to have bio-integrated computer chips that have been implanted in their cerebral cortex or in some other part of their body that are enhancing their mental capabilities. They're going to be able to, and this isn't science fiction, this is fact. They're going to be able to store memory in the chip that's plant, implanted in their bodies. They're going to be able to um, increase the function uh, of their brains through both um, through uh, different biotechnological means, through the implantation of, of electronics, or, or, or through genetic modification. A genetic modification is already taking place in uh, probably in your local hospital. We're, there are, we are already in the age of gene modification. What we're doing right now is gene therapy. We've just begun. But remember, that's in the hospital. Outside of the hospital, the biohacking community is moving at a much faster pace because they don't have restrictions and regu the same regulations that these um, that these hospitals have, and they don't have to worry about getting budgets approved and getting their experiments approved like the universities do. Universities have all kinds of hoops that they have to jump through when they want to do experimentation or branch out and try new things. Um, now that genetic engineering might be happening in your neighbor's garage. There is no way to put that genie back in the bottle. There wasn't anyways, but especially now that the biohacking community is moving forward at such an expedited pace, there is no way to close Pandora's box. It is open and, 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 and we're talking, we're talking specifically about genetic modification. If we move over to the next stream and we talk about nanotechnology or we talk about the advancements that are taking place in cybernetics, um, these are all fields which are growing, which are growing exponentially. They are advancing, they are developing exponentially. They're not following a linear path of development. 
Um, and this is, uh, you can read Ray Kurzweil's papers on the, the exponential growth of, of technology, and it becomes apparent very quickly that within 10, 20 years from now, the world will be drastically different in terms of um, the biological entities inhabiting it. Because not only are we modifying plants, we're modifying our pets, we're, mo we're modifying uh, animals, we're going to be modifying ourselves, and what's, what will inevitably happen, what will inevitably happen is we're going to have the creation of a new human species. I call them neo-humans. And they're going to be divergent from the human species. They're going to be in many ways superior to the human species, certainly in their, um, in their, um, uh, their capability for processing information, their brains, there, uh, as Steve was saying, these, there's biohackers right now who have already increased the density of their muscles. They did it in their basement. They increased the density of their muscles. In, in other words, they made themselves stronger by doing using CRISPR-Cas9 technology to modify their own DNA. And uh, and we just had what was it uh, a few months ago that Vladimir Putin, when he was addressing a, a, a group of, of university students, basically came out and said that we are entering, and, and what he probably meant, what he was probably hinting at is we are already in a super soldier arms race. And obviously, people who have been listening to Steve Quayle for all these years know that that's, that's, that's old hat at this time. I mean, it is, it is surging forward, the... Um, the arms race aspect of, of genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology. There are other streams of technologies, emerging technologies that are in play, but those are the grin technologies, and those are the ones that are most important to the modification of the human species. There's also what is, 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 is in my opinion, the most dangerous technology is germline genetic modification. Germline genetic modification enables scientists to, or biohackers, to make, to edit the genome, to make a change in the, D, in, the in, in their own DNA or somebody else's DNA that then becomes inheritable. It passes on through subsequent generations. Now, if that is done on a mass scale, you can literally change the genetic code of the human race in one generation and let that sink in because that's what we're approaching. We are approaching a time when the, the whole scale genetic modification of humanity is going to be possible. It already is, but we're in the very early stages. As I said, we entered the, the new hybrid age in the year 2000 with the consummation of the Human Genome Project. And again, w and, and this is what I want people to understand, and this is something that we will be highlighting at the conference. We are entering the days of Noah all over again. And that phrase gets kicked around and, 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 and overused, sometimes misused. The days of Noah, the days of Noah, the days of Noah. And, and, but there, there literally are no other days from where we stand now on the timeline of history going all the way back to Noah that could be described as uh, poignantly as, as the day we now live in as the days of Noah 2.0. We are in the days of Noah 2.0. We entered that some time ago, some decades ago. And it's going to look different. There's some different aspects that are in play, the, the artificial intelligence and so forth. But, but the result will be the same. 
the result will be the the corruption of all flesh on the earth. It's it's beginning again. It's happening again for the last time. Because as I said, the old world was destroyed in the waters of the flood the first time it happened, and and this current world, this the, this the, the the current earth we inhabit now will be destroyed by fire according to the prophecy of scripture. So um, it's. It, it, there is no, as I said in the beginning, there is no other topic that is that is more prescient, that is more important for the times in which we live, than transhumanism and the hybrid age, the new hybrid age, because we are living in, um, we are living at the end of the age, and 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 the and these technologies are accelerating um, at such a expedited pace that it's hard to keep track of where we are when we talk about for example nanotechnology um there 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 they have a goal and when i say they i mean the scientists who are working um with nanotechnology have a goal of creating an artificial human body using nanotechnology some believe that they'll be able to to be close to having that artificial human body or at least a prototype of it by the year 2030 i mean the ramifications are mind blowing to all of this yeah, I mean, it, crazy. Yeah, and, and this is all to, uh, if I understand this correctly, this is to an attempt to achieve immortality, to uh, avoid judgment ultimately, but achieve God status. And, and Small that, G, right? And you're right on that note. I don't know, Steve or Tim, did you guys have you guys been paying attention to the new X Files that they just been putting out on Wednesday nights, the latest season? I have not, I have not watched it. Well, uh, okay. Last night they did a sh- uh, did a show on um, on simulated reality, and that's what they talked about: being able to upload their consciousness to this computer to live eternally with uh, the love of their life. And it went horribly wrong, and the whole show was about shutting down the, that reality. But this is being pushed into the mainstream as as ideas of uh, possibility in the future. Well, I, my position on that, Joe, is virtual reality is, if you will, the devil's multidimensional playground to separate people from the consequences of human beings having to make a choice on who they're going to follow. Uh, like Bob Dylan's old song when supposedly he converted, but you got to serve somebody. When I wrote Genetic Armageddon, Today's Technology, Tomorrow's Monsters, uh, you can tell, and by that title, that was pretty... Uh, um, or what would you say, confrontational, <clears throat> excuse me, but also pretty telling because now we're there. And when I start talking about sex robots, and I'll handle this delicately, because look, I'm no prude and I'm no, uh, uh, how should I say, the stranger to the subject, but the point is, by that I mean having come out of the world but also written about the world that would be, when you consider Blade Runner uh, was the actual, I think one of the first movies that was really intimating at uh, men having a sexual relationship with a robot and vice versa. Now, in all the years I've been saved, that's 46 years uh, right about now, the thing that I never understood is the Isaiah prophecy in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And basically they were saying, we're childish and we're non-married. What I see happening is this. 
that men, and, uh, you know, I'll be dealing with this at Branson, and, and trust me, it'll be modified by there, but when you understand what happens in the human body through uh, sexual intercourse, you can understand how the fallen angels interjected themselves literally into human women, and listen, Doug, you know this, I get all kinds of flack over this, but the point being is, is simply, every single uh, civilization of note talks about the gods coming and consorting with earth women. And I, I've said this over the years in writing about the aliens, meaning, you know, extraterrestrials, extra dimensionals. It's unique to me that they have to have so much interest in human sexual physiology. So Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, and in that day seven women shall take hold. So here's what's, what I'm saying. Oh boy, go delicately on this one, Steve. If, if they continue to make the headway they have been and are already, and are able to achieve not only physical uh, uh, stimulation, but also neurochemical stimulation. Uh, you know, obviously in human sexuality, specific chemicals are produced in the brain that result in climax and also result in everything from sleep to all the good benefits, but mostly reproduction. The oldest covenant in the world is that which God established with Adam and Eve when he created the covenant of marriage and then told them to be fruitful and multiply. And in procreation, God allowed us the marvelous, marvelous ability to produce, if you will, little us's. And the little us's were to carry on the heritage that we as godly parents would pass on to them. With few exceptions, that whole part of the equation is done. It's finished. It's over. So I'm going to be Again, sharing with everybody, when I came up with the word like snuffbots, S-N-U-F-F-B-O-T-S, with all the pedophilia revelations, with all the satanic ritual abuse and cannibalism, and the entire world of the dark occult, but, but at the end of the day, uh, the lust for human flesh is the appetite of demons expressed to humans consuming other humans. So when you put it into that context, snuffbots, just simply meaning a robot that is programmed to kill its consort. Doesn't matter if it's a woman having sex with a male robot. Doesn't matter if it's a female robot having sex with a male. They're going way beyond, Doug, uh, the ability of most people to understand. It was only, I don't know, Branson time or right about that time that I got released from the Lord to share the future that he had shown me, man, what, 45, 46 years ago. Uh, when he gave me a vision of the future, but told me it would only be presented as the events were ready to be released. And so the idea is this, that not only will the sex robots take a more uh, prevalent role in society, that there will be an abandonment of sex, I mean human sex, to basically robotic sex. Now imagine, ladies and gentlemen, if you will, and I'm just going to deal with human reproduction, and let's just call this female robotic reproductive receptacles being pre-programmed 
for a genetic variant that is in the cerebral cortex of the female robot to either identify to service the human or to destroy the human. Tim talked about the stuff that's going on in the basement, and basically we're, we're seeing now people modifying their human genomes. The biohacking, and let's just call it too, the robo-hacking that's going to be taking place will be off the charts. It will be, it, it, it's beyond Pandora's box on steroids. It's what Jesus called it, the end of the age. Now, people ask me all the time, and they asked him this, and they've asked you this, Doug, in your emails and others, what does this have to do with salvation? Everything. God told us to go forth into all the world and preach the gospel. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died for Adamic, his Adamic creation that would repent from their old ways, from sin, of rebellion, and everything else we as humans do, that's evil, and embrace him as Savior and allow him to transform our fallen nature into a redeemed nature. You know, and it's amazing, because if you look at what Jesus taught his disciples versus what Muhammad taught his disciples, the thing is, is that Jesus taught the one word that's absolutely missing in the entire universe of every other belief system in the world, love. Define love for me. Love is not passion. Love is not basically physical stimulation. Love is not, let's say, a, a, a mental ascent. There is a factor in love that can only be defined by the originating source of love, God is love, imparting that into his creation. When I saw Jesus face to face, and he looked into my eyes, and I looked into his eyes, and as a sinner who had confessed my sin and accepted him, when I say to people, there's no way to explain it except every atom in your being comes alive with acceptance and forgiveness, everything explodes with the L word, love, and you know that he who created you is more than capable of redeeming you, loving you, as I would call this a subatomic hug on the power of God level that only he can grab, and that's the best I can do. I'm a human, you know, sometimes I, you know, have thought it would be nice to uh, change some of my negative characteristics, but that's the Holy Spirit's job and not me getting a hold of a DNA kit. But the point is, is that now we're talking about sex bots, and so women are going to be forsaken, uh, and when I say this, it's Western women that first embraced the birth control pill. It's Western women that first embraced, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, sexuality without responsibility. I grew up in the 60s. I grew up in that age where, you know, free love, free this, free that. But people found out as they aged there was nothing free about it. It paid a price that took its toll. So why transhumanism, the hybrid age, is so important? I don't believe, and Doug, and I think uh, Tim has said it his way, I'll say it my way, there is no more important subject matter. When Hugo, uh, Hugo de Garris wrote uh, Artificial Intellect, the, the Artelect, and the name of his book, he said there's two types of people. There would be basically the Terrans, who would be guys like us, 
and there'd be the cosmos who are shooting through the stars. And I said to Tim, I said, well, there's going to be a third one, and that's going to be, uh, I haven't got a great name yet for it, but I would call it Historic Realist Standing for God, S-T-R-G or something, H, you know, Historic Realist Standing for God, whatever the acronym is about that. But the point is critical. Now, if anybody thinks that this is just a pipe dream or our worst nightmares, forgive me. I wrote about our worst nightmares you know, uh, 25 years ago. I've been following it up. And it's important that people... And this is it. This is the single most important story there is out there right now, in my opinion. Go ahead, Tim. Well, obviously, I couldn't agree more. And uh, what we're trying to do here with uh, the True Legends, the conference 2018, is bring guys like Hugo de Garris from the world from the scientific world, DeGaris was, uh, it was and is involved in building artificial brains and artificial intelligence. I mean, he is one of the foremost leaders in the development of artificial intelligence worldwide. He's uh, currently residing in China, working with the Chinese, developing their artificial intelligence uh, and their robots and so forth that they that they're building over there. And so uh, we 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 want to. Uh, penetrate into the secular realm with this conference, with the subject matter of this conference, and bring the biblical view, which it's it's easy to deal with some of the obvious uh, implications of robotics and artificial intelligence in that uh, they're going to be used for war, they're going to be, as um, as uh, Hugo de Garris wrote in his book, The Artelec War, that there's there will be a future contention, and I believe he's absolutely right, between those two groups, the ones that want to build uh, massively intelligent machines and uh, the ones that are saying, no, that's not a good idea. And the reason why it's not a, a good idea is because what happens when artificial intelligence, when robots... Um, when their IQ su- surpasses our own, uh, when they decide that human beings are the scourge of the earth and that the earth would be better off without us. And, and that's not science fiction. It is, it is, it's a logical deduction when you think about the machines becoming um, smarter than us. And, and Hugo de Garris says, when, when we say smarter, we're talking trillions of times smarter. And the reason why they know that the machines will be trillions of times smarter is because their their ability to process information will be that of a supercomputer. Um, that's part of the that's part of the thrust of the transhumanist agenda. We are human beings because of the fall. I contend are confined to these very debilitated, broken um, biological bodies. And our bodies have a, a ceiling in terms of, there's a cap in terms of our, our ability uh, to process information in our brains, the firing of our neurons and our, and our uh, neuropathways and, and the, the, our biology just does not allow us to do the same things that a machine can do that's uninhibited by the same biological uh, debilities. And what's what the transhumanists ultimately what they want is to shed Adam. And, uh, and what I mean by that is they recognize the human condition. We all recognize the human condition every day that we wake up and we're getting older and we watch those around us uh, get sick or we get sick ourselves and, and, and our friends and our loved ones start to die. The human condition 
is apparent day and night to every human being. And what is the human condition? It's sin and death. It's the condition of the fall. Uh, we are living uh, the consequence of the fall. And I presented in Branson this in 2017 at the conference, and I believe I've, I've spoken about this on, on your show before, Doug and Joe, that um, right now we are in a genetic crisis. The human species is experiencing a genetic crisis, and it is, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's unavoidable, it's, it's, it's irresistible. We are decaying. Our genome is in a, is in a severe state of decay. Um, our genetic clock is expiring. And, uh, there are so many mutations in the human genome. Um, that there's, there's no way to reverse the process of mutation that, that, that we're, that the mutational load, as they call it, um, uh, that we're experiencing, that the human race is experiencing, which, by the way, uh, absolutely negates the, the, the evolution of the species, specifically the evolution of the human race, um, because according to the theory of evolution, we ought to be, our genomes, our genetic information ought to be increasing, not decreasing. And what we're experiencing at this present time, is a, a decrease in our genetic information and we're getting, um, we're, we're getting aberrations in our genetic code to such an extent that there are, there are tens of thousands, tens of thousands of, um, of genetic mutations in the human gene pool. That is a mutational, that is an unsustainable mutational load on the human populace. In other words, we are heading for death by, uh, we are heading for the, the death of the human genome, genetic extinction due to genetic entropy. And I would encourage everybody listening who's interested in this to, to get a copy of the book Genetic Entropy and the Mystery of the Genome by Dr. J.C. Sanford. Ph phenomenal book, which has been largely overlooked in the scientific community um, because Again, it negates the theory of evolution. So what's, what's happening is we're at a, we're, we are at a, a, a place in time. The human race is at a place in time. We're at the end of the age and our genetic clock is expiring. And the, everybody knows it. Everybody is aware of the human condition. That's why we all innately know that we have a need for salvation. There are those of us who have received the gift of God, received the salvation in Jesus Christ, and, 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 and this situation that we're in because of, of Adam, um, will be rectified in the resurrection. That's our hope. Um, but those who, who see the human condition, recognize the human condition, and reject the gospel, they see it differently. Now that they have the tools, the technological tools to, in their words, to become gods themselves, they want to do an end around the cross of Jesus Christ. They want to do an end around the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And they want to reach immortality um, by means of human technology. And in fact, that's probably not the best way to say it because I don't believe it's all human, derived from human beings. They want to get there through a, through technological means, through a tech, through the vehicle of technology. And that is what transhumanism is. The, the transhumanist goal, they, they say, is to improve the human condition, but it is not to improve the human condition. It is to shed Adam, to become something other than a human being, because if you are a human being, you are subject to the fall of Adam until the resurrection. And as a human being, in these biological suits that we wear, um, 
we're, we're in a body of sin. That's what Paul says, that you're in a body of sin until the day you die. And it, it, it's amazing to watch the recognition of this fact, given all of the scientific data that reveals how dire our situation is as human beings on the earth, how fragile our biology is. And by the way, human biology was not created to be fragile. Adam and the antediluvian, the antediluvian patriarchs were extremely robust physically and spiritually and mentally. We are, we are uh, pathetic specimens of human beings uh, today, uh, living today. And, um, but Adam was not. And even after he fell, he, remember, he lived 900 and some years, um, as did the, most of the patriarchs lived 700 plus years in the pre-flood age. And that wasn't just because they were, they, there was something magical about them. It was because their genetic architecture was almost impeccable. They were so close to the, to the source. They did, they did not have a genetic mutational load. Um, it slowly developed over time and it accelerated after the flood. And here we are today. We have experienced generations of genetic entropy. We are in dire straits right now. Our species is uh, facing a, a crisis. And, and, and I pointed out at the conference, and, and I believe I've said on your show before, that the, 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 the proof is in the pudding. I mean, look at the cancer rates. They're off the charts. Why are they off the charts? Yes, because of the chemicals. Yes, because of the... The, 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 um, the vaccinations and so forth and, and, and the, the, the uh, genetic modification of our food. Yes, yes, yes. But those are all additive, additives to the underlying problem, which is genetic degeneration. That's why there's so much cancer. The human genome is in tatters. And so, at the end of the age, we have, we have the, the transhumanists who are beginning to see a way to get around the human condition to um, to not only as I said improve the human as they say improve the human condition but um, but to shed the human condition altogether and so they're exploring these ideas of, of transferring their consciousness into machines into robots um, exploring the idea not only exploring developing the uh, the technology to do this to create, uh, nanotech bodies Tim, that are made uh, of nanoparticles. We're up against the top of the hour. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Tim Alberino, Steve Quayle, gen6.com. That's the website to go for the conference details and pay attention because the speaker is subject to change and uh, it's it's a good thing. And it, it, uh, I'll tell September's you September's coming quick. That's right. So stay right where you're at. We're going to be right back on the other side with Tim Alberino and Steve Quayle. Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. We have with us Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Tim Alberino is that from gen6.com, the new website. And Tim, before the break, you were talking about nanotechnology 
and I don't know if you want to pick this up where where you left off or start somewhere new. Yeah, what I was saying was that the in their attempt to circumvent the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to circumvent the human condition, the fall of Adam, and the, and the present condition of the human race, uh, transhumanists are are working tireless, tire, tirelessly to uh, construct for themselves, either to modify their own bodies genetically or to construct for themselves new bodies into which they can um, into which they can uh, um, transpose their consciousness. Um, and those, there, there are a host of different technologies um, that are being developed to this end right now. And that is, that's the basic doctrine of the transhumanists. They want to, quote-unquote, improve the human condition. But, but what, what they really mean is they want to circumvent the human condition and, by doing so, get around salvation in the cross, the exclusive hope for the human race, um, in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is precisely what transhumanism is. And so, as Steve said earlier, this is that old lie that was whispered from, from, from uh, the mouth of the serpent to the mother of our race in the Garden of Eden, that you shall be as the gods. And their goal, of course, their ultimate goal is immortality. And I don't believe that, uh, and, and I agree with Steve, I don't believe that machines will ever be able to gain um, true sentience, true consciousness. But uh, there are a host of implications involved in the, the transference of one's consciousness into machines or creating non-human bodies for human souls or spirits or minds or whatever you want to, uh, whatever context you want. Um, to be to to go into those by to inhabit those artificial bodies, the the spirit of man was made to inhabit the human body. This is all a, a this is all a brazen slap in the face of the maker, and that is what we really need to understand that the the transhumanist agenda could not be more Luciferian. It is utterly Luciferian. And the, the legislation is already being laid behind the scenes um, uh, by transhumanists, by futurists, by people who are already thinking in terms of robots and, and artificial intelligence having citizenship. Um, <clears throat> it was a token act recently that they, they made the Sophia robot the, um, a citizen of, of Saudi Arabia. They actually, she actually became a citizen of Saudi Arabia. Of course, that means very little at this stage in artificial intelligence. But it, it was, it was a, um, it was, it was a token um, act that they did by making that robot a citizen, because what they're saying is, we we have to be ready to receive into the citizenry of of our nations. Um, uh, Artificial, artificially intelligent, robotic entities, and it, when when you have legislation being worked on, when you have universities um, working on the eth the ethics behind these things, um, this isn't science fiction. We're going to be seeing this very rapidly. And again, you talk artificial intelligence, you talk robotics. You can't talk artificial intelligence and robotics without throwing in the genetics, without throwing in the nanotechnology, without th throwing in the uh, the um, 
the cyborgization of the human race, which goes hand in hand with all these things. It is a, it is a witch's brew of transhumanism and Luciferianism. Steve? I think one of the things, Doug, that's really critical for people to understand is, is that, again, it's not just the uh, you know amplification of superhuman traits. By the way, this is exactly what Hitler meant and, and Nietzsche meant in the Ubermensch, the superman, the overcomer. And for the record, uh, Mengele's ability to clone humans, we always hear about his ability to twin humans, was really picked up upon by what I would call the beginning of the secret government and the intelligence uh, field when OSS, Office of Strategic Services, turned into the CIA, and we brought in some of Germany's finest intel agents under Operation Paperclip and others. Now, what most people uh, are really wondering, and I know that, I don't know if you've seen it, but Doug, we're going to be presenting at Branson a pretty much a skull based on the conquistadors of a pre-flood giant. The giant would be, have been about anywhere between 30 and 36 feet tall. The giants before the flood of Noah were different in size than after the flood of Noah. And so the thing that people lose track of always, and Tim and I deal with this continuing emails, and we hope we make it clear, but I'll say it again. You're dealing with a life force beyond just the human life force. You're dealing with a body, a hybrid body that isn't subject to the gravitational effects that a normal human would be. And so when we talk about genetic memory, I want everybody to understand this. The giants weren't like the Shrek ogres. They weren't based, and by the way, the word ogre literally means a man-eating giant. The thing that's really relevant in this talk is that the genetic memory that is already being, uh, oh, what should I say, extracted and used in the laboratories of the world, the deep underground military bases, they have a genetic memory. And the I remember talking about this where they were talking about the human DNA could uh, uh, hold enough beyond a, I think it was one strand of DNA, wasn't Tim, that could hold more than the Library of Congress, something on that level. That's right. Yep. So what composite intelligence, what uh, composite wickedness that's stored in the genetic memory of the giant's genome, which is called a triple helix, and that's why the book title I wrote is Xenogenesis. If people want to know how this is going to play out, they need to acquire my book, Xenogenesis. And uh, even tonight, Tim, while we're on the air with Doug and Joe, I got an email from a guy saying, well, I think all this chemtrail stuff is just to scatter radar and uh, maybe dissipate radiation. Well, I told the guy, go do a search on weather warfare, weather modification, and the Air Force. We own the weather 2025. Doug, I've mm -hmm. said this on your show, on Nori's show. I was told by multiple four-star generals that the whole purpose of geoengineering is to change, if you will, to mutate, to bring about a difference in the atmosphere so that when these uh, entities return, it's more like the good old days. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to understand. So at Branson, we're going to have two things. Actually, we're going to have three things, but I'm going to keep one kind of a secret. 
because I can I can't hold secrets. I you know I, I try and buy a gift for my wife for our anniversary or something. And I start giving her clues. So I'm giving you clues, everyone. We're going to have the giant skull on uh, display, and I'll let Tim explain uh, how we arrived at the size of that skull based on the conquistadors' really specific uh, uh, chronicling and categorizing this. Then we're going to have a 12 foot giant based on the actual anatomical representation of body mass, size, and not only just tall. Everybody thinks tall. It's not just tall. It's every dimension multiplied and magnified, and those will be on display. Now, why does why will those be on display in a, in a uh, transhumanism and hybrid? Because Tim made it really clear at the beginning of the show, Doug and Joe, that this is about doing away with God's creation, with literally those whom Jesus died for. It, the scripture is very clear. Jesus did not come and die to redeem the angels that sinned. That is in the book of Hebrews. He came to redeem the lost that God had created. So the thing is, is that the genetic memory in the DNA of these entities, that's why. When I was originally contacted, and I hope the gentleman that contacted me with more stars than I'm talking about, will just send an email to me and tell me that uh, I heard you accurately. He basically made the statement that the entire area of uh, molecular biology and all of the genetic, if you will, research has gone on to identify... The Human Genome Project was never about the human genome. It was about finding what I would call the Nephilim signature in the hybrid or the Rephime genome. So those are going to be on display. But what we're going to do, and, and, and this is, a, I think, a, a value-added uh, service for those who sign up early for their tickets, is weekly we're going to have updates on our website. But we're also going to have, for those who sign up, we're going to have a limited dispersion of information. Now, why is that? Because those who sign up early, are helping us to know how to plan for how many people. And as Tim said, we, you know, we're going to, uh, uh, as we think, sell out quickly. But there are people from all over the world that are asking, can we have this, can we have this? So one of the things is, is the people that sign up to get their videos, and Doug, you saw the videos, and others, I don't think I've ever gotten a complaint about the video set, but we've gotten uh, you know, a lot of saying thank you, thank you, thank you. When we turn out the videos from Branson, and we'll call it Branson 2, Transhuman in the Hybrid Age, it's with the expectation that people will go out and they'll share those at Bible studies or say, hey, come over and watch this guy. You know, I used to think he was crazy. We don't have to figure out who that was. But now some of the stuff he's saying makes sense. So we're talking about, if you will, as people uh, sign up and register, we're going to come up with kind of an exclusive uh, emailing to them, just like I had to do because I ran out of time. Personally, at Branson, uh, I didn't even get to, uh, the I'd say, the majority of my presentation, but we went into the studio and we filmed it and we emailed it to everybody who bought a DVD, everybody who live-streamed, and everybody who was uh, present that didn't get to hear me. And that's ironic if you think about it. I tried to get the last word, and all I got was my introduction. But anyway, that won't happen again. So things are going to change. And Tim, will, uh, Tim, and we've got Darren, who is a marvelous artist and a very bright guy, who's going to be, you know, keeping everybody informed on a realistic basis. I want to say this again. You mark my words on this. 
that as September rolls around, where they're openly talking about what they are speaking of now, they are going to have accelerated the discourse, and they are going to be breaking even more what I would call phenomenal information, not phenomenal in a good way, but that will, I would say, be a roadmap to the supernatural nature of transhumanism and the hybrid age. And if I had to say in my terminology, as crass as it might be at times, I would simply say this, transhumanism is the other, another name for human extinction and the hybrid age, the rule of Lucifer. So we've got, you know, human extinction and uh, the hybrid age simply being the rule of Lucifer. We know Jesus will not let it go that far. But the question is, ladies and gentlemen, if what we're warning you about tonight, and it's coming to pass, Doug, no one can argue with me now about sex bots. No one can argue with me now about basement uh, biotechnicians. I think that's one of the terms I came up with. But the thing that they've got to understand is, is that there is a thread that goes right back to Genesis, right back to the genetics. And by the way, look at Genesis and genetics. Hello. So we've got the whole then alien card coming in. And there are those who believe they're a supernatural phenomenon. And then there are those of us who believe there are aliens as well as a supernatural phenomenon being demons. And I'll turn it over to you now, Tim. One of the most interesting things is when I wrote Genetic Armageddon, one of the very first names of downloading a person's soul, mind, intellect, will, and emotions was called the soul catcher chip. S-O-U-L catcher chip. There was even a British science fiction and I don't remember the name of it, but where there was this spaceship kind of thing, it looked like, you know, some crystalline structure upside down and it was sucking the souls out of human beings. Do you remember that show, Doug? Yes. I do. Okay. I, and, I don't and, and, it, it, that was about what, ten years ago? No. Oh, no, it was probably closer no. to 20 years ago. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, the thing is, is that this is where we're at, so it's critical. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, those who, who register early, we will be giving a, a, an email to those of you in real time. Same thing if you, uh, you know, sign up for, uh, you know, the DVDs, you'll get on a list, too. What we're trying to do is encourage people. And last year, I think we had people from, what, 14 nations present, Tim, at yes. Branson? Yes, And this year, from the emails I'm getting, people really want to know this. And my prayer is, for each one of you listening around the world, this broadcast or rebroadcast, that if you feel like God's touching your heart, that you will pray and that God will make a way financially, time-wise, whatever has to happen in your lives, because it's going to be a different a different uh, presentation because it, I would call it this it'll be ongoing education in real time or a reality if you will check up all the way to the Branson conference September 14th through the uh, 16th in Branson Missouri go ahead Tim yeah, uh, Tim before before you start I just want to say three things N- number one um Genetic Armageddon. When I first, well, you know, Steve, when I first met you, I had a lot of reservations about uh, about what you're talking about now. And um, look, I, admittedly, I'm slow. I'm very slow on the uptake. But in looking at the headlines versus what you had written in Genetic Armageddon, I'll just say that you were right on the money. As a matter of fact, at my home, 
um, I have genetic Armageddon, and this is a true story, on my uh, coffee table in my family room. And my neighbor came over the other day, and and they keep it there. Um, And my neighbor came over the other day, picked it up, and looked at me and said, you know, um, some of this, when was this written, he asked me, and uh, some of this is like right out of the headlines, and I'm, and I'm not making that up, but I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it's it's an amazing thing to see what you wrote about and what you spoke about and what you linked to on your website, what, uh, you know, a quarter century ago coming to pass. And again, that's not just a, just a blow smoke, that's, I, I'm, I'm, Amazed because you were right on the money. So, um, just think about that, folks. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was the uh, the dynamics of, at the conference. Were I cannot describe what I don't know what was going on there. I, I don't know what was in the air, um, but it was to, just to see the interaction between the people. I'm talking about the people in the audience and being with the audience, and it was just fantastic. And it was different than any place else I've ever been in terms of conferences. And that's, all. I guess, two things, not three things. So that's what I wanted to say. So thank you, Steve, and thank you, Tim, for a quality uh, event. And I'm looking forward to certainly this coming September and spending some time with uh, some really great people from all around the world as well as some very fine speakers. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, I want to make a uh, – I want to talk a little bit about the the giant, the giant statues um, – that Steve referenced that uh, we're going to have at the conference. But let me first say that for those of you who didn't get a chance to go to the conference, we do have a digital download of the conference available on gen6.com in the store. We also have the DVD set, all the sessions, all of the, uh, the, the complete roster of speakers um, from the 2017 conference available on the store as well. Uh, we also have something that people have been asking us about that I don't think we've ever really publicly announced yet. We also have a True Legends DVD trilogy pack available uh, for $49.99 on our website. That's all three films. It's a package deal, and we finally got around to doing that. So if you've been waiting for that, you can find it right now on the true on the uh, uh, Gen6.com uh, webpage that we just created in the store. Um, the is, what what I've what I have found very interesting um, since I've been working with Steve is that Steve and I will talk about something or we'll put something in a film, and then a year later or two years later or or sometimes a matter of months later, some some something will come out of left field to confirm uh, the material that we were dealing with in our films or or talking about on the radio. And this and this always happens. And Steve told me the other day that. Uh, um, showed me a picture of the of the giant skull that uh, that we're going to have at the uh, at the um, at the conference that is that was constructed to scale, built to scale, and um, I find it ironic that that skull is set to arrive at our studio here um, in, in 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 the next couple of days, and right during this time uh, when we're taught when Steve and I are talking about these statues and 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 thinking about the the conference and. Um, I get an email from, and, and I want to thank Chad Riley for sending me this email, if he's listening. Um, this, this video pops up online on, on Facebook and YouTube by this Bolivian guy that uh, discovered, uh, allegedly discovered the footprints of giants in Bolivia 
in the department in the region of Tarija. And and why that is so fascinating to me, why it's so interesting how the timing of all of this is because the skull that is arriving to our studio tomorrow, I believe, is literally based on the chronicles that we dealt with in our first film, uh, specifically the record that was written by Bernabe Cobo concerning a body of a giant that was discovered, and you'll remember this if you saw our first film, a body of a giant that was discovered under the the uh, the bank of a river. The river had dried up and it, and it had exposed a grave of a giant. Um, and and the dimensions of the giant, we could actually calculate get a rough estimate of dimensions of the giant. Again, this this is what the skull is based on that's coming here tomorrow, because the conquistadors uh, took their swords and stuck them through the eye socket uh, of the skull. And the skull was so large that the that the sword sunk into the into the eye socket all the way to the that the blade sunk through the eye socket all the way to the back of the skull, so that the hilt of the sword was pressing up against the socket. And uh, just by doing a uh, uh, a quick a quick um, uh, Google search on on the length of the uh, rapier swords in, in, in the 15th, 15th and 16th centuries, you can get a good idea of how large that skull is, was. But again, what's so fascinating is here, here we've got this skull coming. I get this email just, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, Steve, that we got this email. And yeah, where ago. is this giant, where is this giant, where are these giant footprints discovered? Tarika. Right where that, um, where the account uh, which took place where that where, where the conquistadors found the body of the giant. In fact, um, let me actually, uh, if I can, read a portion of this just to remind people because I, it's it's just it's amazing to me how these little confirmations come um, again, oftentimes a year after the fact of Steve and I doing research and putting something out there, and then suddenly these little coincidences happen, and it, it's just it just confirms. Um, what we had previously covered. So this is from Bernabe Cobo, who is a Jesuit missionary and historian. He wrote the book called History of the New World in 1653. He is considered to be one of the chroniclers of the history of the conquest of Peru. Very, um, um, he's, he's a very reputable uh, chronicler, and much of the history of Peru is derived from Bernabe Cobo's work. And he writes this. Um, one thing that cannot be denied, as much as for the tradition of the Indians themselves, as for the signs and relics that are still present, is that there were once giants in this land. How they came to this land and from where and how long they lived in it is uncertain. The first Spanish conquistadors of this kingdom found in the peninsula and port of Santa Elena, diocese of Quito, human bones of massive size that they knew belonged to giants and among them and, and among them some shin bones more than three feet long many other bones of the same proportion have been discovered afterwards in other parts of that same province and in the province of Trujillo also bones of equal size have been seen further inland as in the province of Tucuman and Tarija that's where, the bone, that's where these footprints are found Tarija in the latter of these, in other words, in Tarija, a whole body was discovered beneath the ravine or bank of a river that the water, having eroded the bank, had unearthed. It was so massive that its grave occupied a very large space, and its skull was so abnormally gigantic 
that some of the Spaniards thrusting their swords through its eye socket could barely reach the back side of its head with the points of their blades. And then he goes on to talk about how um, other people have reported giants and giant bones in the region of Tarija, exactly where um, this video has surfaced from of this guy who allegedly, and I say allegedly, there's no way that we can verify that, the, that this isn't a hoax or that these are actual, that somebody didn't go and cut these footprints into the, into the stone. But as far as I can tell, it, it, it looks authentic to me. I can't verify its authenticity, but it looks authentic to me. And, and again, we have a historical precedence for uh, the, the existence of giants inhabiting the region of Tarija. So I thought that that was fascinating given the fact that um, Steve actually had these, the, the, the giants built to scale that will be at the conference actually based on this account from Bernabe Cobo and now footprints are surfacing from the region of Tarija in Bolivia seemingly confirming the, uh, um, the records of the, uh, of the conquistadors. I found that to be fascinating. Well, Tim, one of the things, too, that was uh, like this. Everything's accelerating, Doug and Joe. Uh, the other day, I think it was on the 7th of January, around there, and what is it today? That's four days ago. Major water receding in Santa Elena frightens fishermen in Ecuador. Now, why Santa Elena is so important is that's where all of the myths and legends and the natives told the uh, chroniclers of the conquistadors that the giants first landed and came ashore in South America. Now, get this. I, I was thinking, I was pondering about this, and water covers up something. It always covers up, and immediately, here's the impression I got, I got when the water of the ocean goes out, okay, it uncovers the beach. And I felt like, seriously, you guys all pray about this. I've told everybody to take the Lord in prayer. But I felt like the Lord said, the day of the uncovering is fast approaching. So we've got the footprints. And Tim, am I pronouncing it right? Tarika? Tarika. Well, that's as good as I can do. Tim and Tim and Carlos trying to teach me Spanish. I, I, I can't. And, I cannot make my. I can't make my tongue go that way, brother. Me either. And boy, getting my tongue there is also. But my, you know, I have very poor hearing. I apologize. But anyway, they they bear they forbear me in love. And I, I. But the thing that's critical. Here's what I'm saying. I believe the footprint that uh, Mr. Roddy provided was on the ninth, maybe. But. Did you get what we're trying to say, Doug? Santa Elena, the giant's land there. That's the myths, the legends, the chroniclers to the uh, uh, conquistadors. Then within a day or two, the footprints in Tarica. And then you've got the situation unfolding almost daily. And what was interesting to me is when you find the greatest revelations, uh, and I would encourage anybody who lives in a flood zone, once you, if you live in a flood zone in the Ohio, Mississippi River, number one, go out and walk the banks and keep your eyes open for bones because the biggest, here's what's cool, the biggest fossil finds in history always seem to follow floods and they always seem to, I'm talking about now, I'm talking about giants, not dinosaurs, but I'm talking about that and so we're, we're seeing something being uh, accelerated and if you want to go on, you know, just do a search on Santa Elena, Ecuador, you'll get a feel for the bay and everything else. So I guess what I'm trying to way, say... 
Yeah, go ahead. Let me just say, Steve, that, that story about the footprint of the Giants, this, that video, it's on Gen6.com right now. You can go to Gen6.com. I posted the story there. You can see the video and the uh, chronicle that I just read. I just wanted to let people know if they're interested, then go right to Gen6 to find it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I've gotten asked so many times, well, where are the Giants? And by the way, the new film coming out uh, that that isn't like an episode four, but it's Gen Six uh, uh, on the Egyptians and the Pacific Rim and the Grand Canyon and the Smithsonian cover-up. We tried to get a certain individual to get us access and everything, and lo and behold, God bless you, brother uh, GC. God provided a brother who had literally been allowed to go into the secret, if you will, uh, storage uh, buildings of the Smithsonian. He basically said they're 100 yards long and intersecting uh, corridors 100 yards and they get down four floors. Well, the, the fascinating thing is, is what he talked about were the Egyptian artifacts, were the Egyptian mummies that were found in the area of the Grand Canyon. He then went on to talk about how he was related to one of the most famous geologists in the history of the Grand Canyon, who followed in Powell's footsteps and subscribed to the same, if you will, cover-up and cover-over of uh, diffusionism, meaning that the Egyptians were in this part of the world in 235 B.C. And so what the new video, probably ready, I guess, yeah, mid-February, about 70 minutes, and it's remarkable. The amount of, if you will, petroglyphs, the amount of written records, the amount of maritime records, the advanced mathematics that Aristophanes possessed, and others that uh, the, uh, let me say this, the library at Alexandria, Egypt, was burned because of all of its ties to the giants. And for the record, there are other depositories of those books. But I was specifically told this by the same general that I'm talking about, uh, you know, four-star plus, that he said that do not go to a certain area of the world. I'm not going to tell you where it was. It wasn't South America. Because they will do anything, meaning the guys that don't want the information out, to keep you from finding extractable DNA because they've already gone before you and they got it. And they do not want the biblical narrative to be uh, underscored by actual genetic evidence. And that launched, ladies and gentlemen, I think that was like, I don't know, 19, uh, you know, that was probably, let me do this in my head, Doug, uh, 12 to 13 years ago. So what we're trying to present to you is this. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Uh, Orwell's famous statement, they who control the past control the future. They who control the future determine or, uh, you know, write the past. That's paraphrase. So what, what this uh, expression of knowledge, I believe we're fulfilling Daniel's uh, uh, time period prophecy, not just us, others too. I'm not claiming anything exclusively except that God has raised up Tim, God has raised me up, others, Tom Horn, everybody who's in this realm, to basically present, uh, you know, a unified field theory of true history.
So again, ladies and gentlemen, both the skull and the 12-foot giant, by, by the way, getting that thing erected is 500 pounds, okay? And uh, you'll be able to see that, and uh, I think it'll put stuff into perspective, because I've been talking about giants for so long, and people go and look at, you know, people that may have suffered from gigantism and everything that's on the uh, Internet, but what we're talking about is the eyewitness or the written accounts, and, and the one that uh, somebody sent me an email on, uh, Klaus Donas in Ecuador, I think that that was just, if I'm not mistaken, 20, 21 feet, but that was built uh, or projected off of just a couple bones. And Klaus Downer is one of the smartest people in the world. I know him. I've interviewed him. Tim and I have talked to him on Skype. I think there's a Skype interview where I interviewed him. Uh, at one point, he he probably possessed or was a, allowed to have uh, the majority of out-of-place artifacts that people had collected privately and presented them in different areas. And interestingly enough, Japan and I believe, uh, I can't remember, Tim, uh, and maybe Korea, the Orientals in that part of the world were very, very interested and fascinating. And I believe even that uh, Universal Studios in Tokyo uh, has a giant exhibit where you get to walk into the mouth of a giant, and obviously it's fiberglass saliva, but gee, you can stand the mouth of a giant who's ready to devour you. And when you see the size of the giant, and Tim, that's up on the Gen 6 website too, isn't it? The giant skull? Uh, it will be. It will be this week. Okay. Okay. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we've been scrambling because one of the hard, no excuses, but one of the hardest things about this, uh, putting on a conference like this, is to ensure what I would call the flow of data and information. That's why we limit ourselves to eight speakers, you know, and, and again, uh, I, I, I better just leave it at that. But our focus is so narrow, and I, I promise you this, that you will watch after the conference those of you who are there, those of you who are uh, getting the uh, DVDs, you'll watch history open up. It's like a key. Everything is on a time lock. And, and Pastor David Langford, by the way, will be at Branson, and he's going to be preaching on uh, on Sunday. He's going to be preaching on the Christian response to transhumanism and the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, except the days be short and there be no flesh left alive. So we're pretty excited, and, uh, you know, we got to have about a week or two to catch up. But again, the people that sign up for the uh, their tickets ahead of time or purchase the DVDs ahead of time, they will be getting uh, special email updates. And we'd ask those of you who get those not to share them. You guys are helping us, and we want to provide something in your hand to let you know how much we appreciate you. And again, if one will chase 1,000 to, to 10,000, then the people that are being entrusted and I believe this, with this information, are able to embrace it, and God quickens it and makes it alive, you'll have a greater effect on the future than you could ever imagine. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, and just so people know, we already have uh, hundreds of people signed up for the, uh, for the conference. So we are already filling up really fast, and that will accelerate as we announce um, a couple more of the really exciting uh, speakers that uh, that we're talking to right now, and uh, yeah, and I uh, one of the things that I think makes our conference so powerful is the fact that we don't divide the speakers up. Uh, in other words, we don't have two speakers speaking at the same time. Um, it's it's in a, it's a theater setting. It's theater seating. It's in the Mansion Theater, which is a phenomenal venue 
for the kind of thing that we do because what Steve and I, as a production company, what we really like to do is make our conference um, not just uh, a conference of speakers but a video presentation. So um, we'll have a bunch of little videos that we're going to be presenting at the conference uh, this year in 2018 in September. And it's a very dynamic atmosphere and we we got we we uh we get big big screens installed uh at at in in the theater uh for the video production and so when you sign up to go to our conference you hear every single speaker you don't have to worry about dividing your time between uh, two different speakers or choosing speakers we pick the most powerful roster that we can uh that we can acquire and um, and we just line them up one after another so that the entire audience can hear what everybody has to say. And why that's so dynamic is because, as was evident in this previous conference in, in last September, the, synch- the, the, the way that everybody's talks synchronize is, is incredible. And I'm absolutely positive it's going to be the same this year. Uh, last year, we didn't, even, we didn't even give our conference a theme. It was just our first True Legends conference. And uh, we didn't really have a theme for it, and yet there was a theme without us having to, to put one. This year, we, we, we felt, you know, talking to Steve and I, talking to Tom Horn, we really felt we need to deal with, with transhumanism and the hybrid age. And uh, Skywatch TV is a big part of this year's conference, and, uh, and, and obviously Tom Horn is one of our keynote speakers. And, and, the, and there, there, there aren't uh, many people who, who can match Tom Horn uh, when dealing with the subject of transhumanism. And, you know, Steve, Steve Quayle and Tom Horn are like the number one adversaries of the transhumanist agenda. And, uh, I would say there's, there's a number, th- there, there's, they're probably number one and two, and there's probably a number three, and he may be at the conference. We won't say who he is. But, um, so it will absolutely be a dynamic event, and I again I encourage everybody. We had a lot of people, and this isn't just me trying to peddle this event and and, and make you go sign up for it. We're, listen, we had a lot of people last year. We got a lot of emails last year from people who were sorely disappointed because they thought that they could wait until a couple of months out to to go and order their ticket to actually attend the conference. They were very disappointed to find out that the conference had sold out a couple of months before uh before they decided to buy a ticket. So that's the reason why I'm saying that. If you really want to go, we don't want you to miss out. Get in early and um gen6.com you can sign up. That's fantastic. Oh, Doc, here, uh, excuse me, go ahead and speak, because after you speak, I'm going to read you a poem by Randy Conway, randyconway.com, but called The Hybrid Age. So go ahead, Doug. Yeah, by the way, I met Randy Conway there as well. Uh, what a fine gentleman. And, uh, uh, again, it just speaks to the caliber of the people there. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, this is called The Hybrid Age, and this is the first time I've seen it, so I hope I don't, you know, mess up his meter or his rhyme. But the point is, I believe, and and this isn't just flattery, I will make go on record, Randy is my friend. But when I first started reading his poetry, I knew that God had gifted him with an understanding of the times we live in. He's like one of the sons of Issachar in the world of poetry, but he has the understanding to back up his words. So I would encourage you to go on his website. And again, Randy, if I'm not giving out the right uh, website, you know, send me an email after I read this. I'll make sure uh, it's correct. The Hybrid Age. 
Victor was just an amateur playing with his cadavers. The Nazi made it their life's goal. It was their ultimate endeavor. To create a man from parts and pieces or improve with a secret brew, it makes no difference if it is what the watchers did and the endeavor isn't new. CRISPR has come. It's in our hands. And many are the Frankensteins working on their creation to alter all flesh upon the earth in our grasp and to change mankind will take a single generation. To become a Superman is not the story as in its whole. To live forever seems to be the transhumanist's ultimate goal. Have we arrived in a brave new world, or have we arrived in hell? Are we living in the days of the X-Men or the days of Noah, as the Bible did foretell? In a basement room, a Nephilim spirit is guiding a self-made scientist, and the desire to become a hybrid man the ignorant cannot resist. The proliferation of the Watcher's offspring at one time was beyond number. So many dwelt upon the earth that God destroyed it all when his command for flood did thunder. One man has mastered that which Nimrod did to become a gibberim. We will have entered the days of Noah and the age of the obscene. Boy, there's a powerful statement. Entropy, prophecy, and technology are all coming to a head. The hybrid age will not see the rise of man. It will make him dead. Today is a day of repentance. Salvation is a gift of Jesus Christ. Singularity is not a progressive evolution. It is a demise of human life. Choose choose you this day, for tomorrow will be too late. Modification or eradication eradication is left for those who hesitate. Can man survive against a superior race with superior strength and mind? If hybrids will rule the earth in the final age, you don't want to be left behind. And he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about understanding the future that is now accelerating, exploding, unfolding, and Again, Doug, what we're talking about tonight will be classically looked upon one year from today, and people said, how did they know? And I will answer that, because a living God, surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets to his servants the prophets, neither myself, Tom Horn, Tim, or anybody associated, associated with us claim to be prophets, but we do claim one thing, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're new creations in him, and unknown to me or even those of us who are called. Why he chose us, that's his business. But that we be faithful unto our calling is our responsibility, as it is yours, Joe and Doug, because you were called and appointed, and and again, you know, haters and critics, you know, uh, your day will come, and there'll be no less, uh, how should I say this, no less of God's judgment that you'll be able to run from. So, you know, Doug, we are so privileged to live in the age we do because in essence we're, we're, we're to rescue the perishing we're to give the good, good news the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ we're to basically proclaim his kingship his lordship and his second coming but prior to his second coming there will be the war that has never been before and as prophets had foretold and men of old it's up to God's people to go forth in the power of the living God and to be bold. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a Randy Conway, but it just came out. So again, ladies and gentlemen, we're going the uh, to the end end degree. Somebody said you guys really put it all on the line. Amen.
again, if you don't put it all on the line, what use is it? You know, God never holds back on his graciousness, his mercy, his absolute uh, giving, and God gave good gifts to men. The question is, will we as a men who are the recipients and women of the grace gifts, the cares gifts of God, will we be faithful? And what I see at this point, and obviously I can't see except that which is before my eyes, that which manifests itself as even claiming to be Christians are doing everything they can to deny the very Lord that saved them and, and them, and that is the time and the age of deception we're in and by the grace of God we're going to give you a heads up on this stuff and that's why we want you to register early because this is going to be I don't think there's ever been a word like this but this is going to be a continuing education or a pre-education prior to the conference because I believe I Again, those who will be led to, hey, i got to register this. You'll be woken in the night, you'll be told. And, and somebody said, well, how can you make that statement? Simple. I listened to he who commissioned me. Tim knows that which he, God has called him to. So Tom Horn has been faithful to that which has called him to. And I won't tell you the name of a talk show host. You don't know this yet, Tim, because uh, it just it was in a phone call before we went on the air. But a certain well-known radio uh, 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 personality, television personality, has forbid any of his staff to ever mention Tom Horn's name, I guess my name, and anything associated with that which we're teaching. And for the record, that's a pretty tragic statement because, again, what you're going to see is the love of the great body is going to wax cold and many people are going to fall away. So, Tim, go ahead. Yeah, and I just I just want to, want to before we're done, address again the um, the the ramifications that we're dealing with here because there's that question that you mentioned Steve that we get it's probably the question that we get more uh more than any other question and it is what does any of this have to do with salvation well <laughs> when it comes to transhumanism in the hybrid age when it comes to fundamentally altering the human condition the 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 the, the human being the the human dna the genome that god created for the human race the implications are Salvific, 100% salvific. It could not be more dire, and that's why I'm using these these apocalyptic terms. It's because everything is on the line when you talk about transhumanism, when you talk about the new hybrid age, and um, and this again is an issue that is not some. It's not something that may happen in the future. This isn't some apocalyptic vision. Um, that is, it's optional for you to subscribe to it if you like the way it sounds, or maybe you feel like it's, it's a little far-fetched. You don't, you're not really going to buy into it. You don't have an option this time. You don't have an option this time. The, it's happening right now. Transhumanism, the hybrid age is accelerating. It is happening right now. I have four, uh, bo I have four young boys. My, my four boys are going to grow up in a world that is going to be terrifying. And it's going to be terrifying because the hatred for God, the, the, the Luciferian um, impulse in society is going to grow. It's going to burgeon. And believers living in the future, and I'm talking about the near future, are going to have to have more courage and are going to be, have to be armed with more knowledge to navigate the times. And, of course, Steve always uh, uh, references the verse, My people perish... 
uh, for lack of knowledge. And, 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 and I've often had in my mind and heart the verse that zeal without knowledge uh, is dangerous, can, can lead to death. Uh, which is in the New Testament. And there's a lot of people who have zeal for the Lord, but are not armed with knowledge. And this isn't, this isn't the kind of heady knowledge that puffs up and, and, that, and that is only useful to show how much more you know than your friends or, or, or some petty thing like that. This is knowledge that can save your life and the lives of your neighbors because we're dealing with um, again, we're dealing with a salvific issue, the alteration of the human genome, the, the alteration of the human species is a salvific issue, because as Steve said, Jesus came to die for the human race. He did not come to die for the angels that sinned. He did not come to die for the hybrids or for aliens. He came to die for us. And there is a very, there's a sinister plot afoot to rob humanity of even being a candidate of the salvation uh, in Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ and the rectification of the human condition which is in the resurrection of, from the dead in Christ and we're going to be unpacking these things at the conference I know um, that uh, I'm going to be giving a continuation of the presentation I gave in Branson in, in in 2017, in fact, um, I've got some of the more weightier issues that I didn't even deal with in, 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 at, at the last, at, 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 I guess we can call it Branson 1.0, that, that I'll be delivering in Branson 2.0, which really do deal with the salvific nature of this issue. And um, in, in fact, it's interesting, it, it's interesting that before, um, I, before we had determined what the topic, before we knew what the topic of this, uh, of this year's conference would be, um, the Lord had already put on my heart to write a book that's been sitting on my spirit for a long time that deals precisely with the content of this conference. Uh, I know the same is, is happening with Steve, and, and, and immediately when we talked to Tom, the, the response from Tom was, we need to talk about transhumanism. And we, it resonated with all three of us, and we were all moving in that direction anyways. And so I can guarantee you that this conference is providential, and that the information is is going to be cutting edge and it's going to equip you for the times in which we now live um, there's a lot of information regarding one of the things that 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 we we really want to do is equip people with um, just the the knowledge of of how far along thing things really are in terms of the emerging technologies how how far into the night we have already progressed and that's one of the reasons why uh, we have, uh, we're flying Hugo de Garrison from China to be at our conference is because there are few people who, who can speak with that level of authority when it comes to artificial intelligence, as I mentioned earlier in robotics, uh, as Hugo de Garrison, who's very well spoken. The guy's a genius. And, uh, and, and Hugo has been warning for years, for years, uh, about, um, the dangers of creating, of constructing massively intelligent artificial intelligence, um, and and even as we even as we listen to uh, uh, the Hagman and Hagman, Hagman report right now, as you guys are tuning in and listening, we're listening on the platform of Google, on YouTube, which is uh, a subsidiary of Google, and Google is 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 uh, actively buying up every company that's making strides in in artificial intelligence robotics even the companies that have been working with the defense department that have been um that have been uh, building the uh the most advanced robots uh 
for warfare. Google, your search engine company, is buying these things up uh, and is employing the some of the uh, some of the, the the greatest minds in the world uh, that in in the in the realms of artificial intelligence and robotics and nanotechnology, and it's it's. Um, that's a scary thought to me because Google is becoming almost like a uh, a government in and of itself, and um, and I have a special I have a special disliking for Google. They they banished me from YouTube. They they literally will, took my channel down and told me basically we don't like you and you're not allowed to have a YouTube channel. So um, and and I, and I can understand why we're viewed as. Uh, with, with such animosity from Google, because the things that we're talking about, the things that Steve's talking about and has been talking about for for years, such as the sex bots and so forth, Google's part of the problem. They're they're the ones who are really pushing and developing these things, and uh, not just Google. There's a bunch of agencies out there too, and internationally, um, that are are pouring uh, billions of dollars into the development of uh, of robotics and, and the other technologies that we mentioned. So. Um, really, again, let me just say there could not be a more cutting-edge topic. There could not be a topic that is that is burning on my heart and Steve's hearts and Tom's horn, Tom Horn's heart more than transhumanism and the hybrid age. So um, uh, I'll sign off by encouraging all of you to to go to the conference, get your tickets early while you can still get them. It's going to be absolutely dynamic, and uh, if you have not seen. Uh, the uh, the if you were not able to attend the last conference or, or did not get a chance to purchase the DVDs, um, the 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 digital download and the DVDs from True Legends the conference 2017 are available right now on Gen6.com. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on your show again. Absolutely, and just fantastic Man, show. Thank you for for coming on. I, I got to tell you, we are very fortunate to have the caliber uh, of, of people like Steve Quayle and Tim Alberino uh, that we do, and the knowledge. I mean, think of the knowledge that that Tim Alberino has. And if you talk to him for five minutes, you know you are talking to a scholar. And same with with Steve. Um, it, it, the amount of knowledge that they've got, and and I and I say this with all. Uh, sincerity, the amount of knowledge they have, to me, is intimidating. Did you ever talk to somebody and, and, and you're intimidated by the, by the level of knowledge that they've got? Um, I could never engage them in a conversation at their level on this topic. So that's that's really cool. So, Steve, you got the last word. Well, thank you. And, Doug, here's, here's what my goal is. Obviously, you know, if the biggest mistake that generations and men of God, mighty men of God, who have made... Uh, amazing uh, impact in the, the world that was. If you notice, the devil has cut off any, if you will, their tapes and videos are still available, but their disciples are lacking. Even as the greats like Derek Prince, there, there are people like myself who are, you know, fortunate to be blessed by his teaching, his training, and to have met him and been prayed over by him and stuff. But the quality, we're fighting for the generation that's listening to this show on your, your, uh, program tonight. We want young people to come. And Tom Horn and I have talked about coming up with, you know, a, a package for the young people. My definition of young people is going to to be, you know, under 30, we want to impart to them uh, a level of knowledge so that, look, after we go, we're gone. If we are, if we stay, 
it doesn't matter. But the faithfulness, and by the way, everybody who works for me now is probably Tim's age, 33 or younger, okay? Well, maybe Carlos might be 38, but let's say 40 or under, it's a safe bet. And so, you know, I'm looking uh, personally, obviously, a body of work, you know, and by, by the grace of God, someone said, how can you do what you do? And I, I, my only answer is, by the grace of God. Um, obviously, someone said, you know, they see the bags under my eyes, and they say, you look like you smoked a bad bag of dope. I said, no, I'd, you know, you probably get the fort- good fortune of sleeping eight hours. But, you know, the point is, is that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost relentless, and that's probably not the wisest thing to do. But, you know, I'll have a new book there. I won't tell you the title, but it will be, I think, pretty dramatic. It'll be on the lines of, you know, uh, Skynet. It'll be on the uh, lines of Why All the Dead Doctors, Why All the Dead Naturopaths. And, ladies and gentlemen, you can't get away from it. And as one who started chronicling the death of all the doctors, the bioweaponeers, the bioengineers, the molecular biologists, all the shows I've done over the years, look, it's what I was called to. The new film I'm talking about will be available on uh, Vimeo, and it'll be available for purchase February 15th. It'll be the latest. It's, I'm already going through the producer's cut. i got to get the final coloration. It's 70 minutes of amazing stuff, and I think that you'll be uh, blown away by it. Because, look, it's one thing for, you know, the, the uh, I would say this, the keyboard assassins who work overtime to, you know, destroy Doug, me, Tim, uh, Tom Horn. It's another thing for the Oxford University to declare Tom Horn and I the milieu, and I didn't even know what that word meant until I did, uh, word search, but basically the head of the transhumanist resistance. You better believe it. May all of God's people, Doug, this is the thing I'm praying, that the Lord would grant his people boldness to speak the truth in love with his power. Because judging from the anonymous people, here's my favorite, and i got to share this. People call me thin-skinned after 25 years in the arena, and then they sign it anonymous. Or they'll say, my name is Carol, don't use my first name even. Yeah, right. So, you know, how how is that for thin skin? So, ladies and gentlemen, go on, uh, please, Gen6, dot com. Register for the Branson Conference and be prepared, I think, for the, for the most mind-opening and timing. Everything in the living God's uh, calendar is timing, and if he's sharing it now, that means it's going to be important beyond what you can even imagine. Doug, bless you. Joe, bless you. Thank and you, God sir. bless each and every one of you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Bye-bye. Thanks, Steve. And giddy up, folks. And, and, I'm, and I'm serious, boy. It's worth the uh, it's, it's it's worth the uh, t- time to. Uh, if you know, you can arrange the time off to you know, uh, register now. That's what that's what that's what I'm doing because yeah, look, you can register now. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious because uh, you can boy, register you know, you, for us. You don't think I, I you don't, you think I just get a free pass or what? no no? But uh, the whole team had a meeting. Was it Wednesday? Except you, and we decided we want to go too. So, register some extra seats. There's been a coup. (laughs) There's been a coup. There's been a take hostile takeover. But you you know what, Uh, folks? We are so glad you joined us tonight. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow. May God bless. 